kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good night. I'm sure there's got to be a television show out there that has that salutation out there somewhere, but I'm going to patent it for this podcast. Hello, this is Love That Album. My name is Morris, and you're listening to uh, the second of our two end-of-year specials highlighting the best of uh, 2014, either new releases or albums that the... uh, the people involved have heard for the first time and this special is featuring what i love to dub the shooting the shit crew this is uh episode number 70 episode number 69 that you heard previously this month uh came from uh, correspondence to the show they sent in separate segments but uh this is going to have a more of an interactive flavor uh but even there we're still doing this in two halves because there's quite a number of us and uh, so what we're going to do is um, we're not going to have all the crew in one hip, but with me on this half of the show, I have, first of all, uh, my man in Sydney, Mr. John Sturrett. Welcome back to the show. It's for your first time in a year, John. It doesn't seem that long, to, um, Morris, but yes. And I, I don't think I've ever... Oh, no, what am I saying? Of course I've had you on for a regular show because we, we uh, covered um, High Hopes. But uh, by Bruce Springsteen earlier on in the year with and uh, uh, the Wrecking Ball album. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was last year, but this year, yes. yeah, we've had you on for oh, high yes. hopes. Yeah. So we're gonna have to find something that's not Springsteen to cover next year. Yes. Thinks. And um, uh, from uh, South Korea, Seoul, my uh, my man, the Canadian, my favourite Canuck, Mr. Tim Merrill. Good evening. Howdy. How y'all doing out there? Oh look, we're we're sweating bullets. I don't know. John, is it is it hot in Sydney? Yeah, it's reasonably hot today. Yeah, it's yeah. somewhere in the high twenties. Right. I think I think it got to the low, I think it got to the low thirties. That's Celsius for you, uh, Northern Hemispherians who still work off the old Fahrenheit scale. And uh, yeah, quite um, quite hot and humid and bothersome. But uh, we're quite happy down here. At least some of us are. I don't normally get political on Love That Album, but we had. Uh, a state election yesterday, and um, I'm quite happy to say that uh, the government for the last two, three years has been evicted. And as I say, I don't like to get political on this program, but um, there are a few of us who are quite happy about the change of government. Let's see where this goes. I'm not going to take it any further. But So I, I have a question, though. Go uh, for because, it. Because, uh, because you guys are below the uh, um, equator there, I'm wondering... Uh, does it does they do they swirl to the clockwise or counterclockwise? Oh, the dunnies. Um, yeah. Um, um, you know what? I, I need to go check my toilet right now and, and confirm that. I don't really, I don't really know. John, do you know? Do, do, I think we're clockwise, Tim, but don't quote me on. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just saying, man. You know, I'm just wondering how you know, everyone was sitting back and they watch them swirl. You know. Mm. 
This is uh, Love That Album, the favourite political scientific podcast here. Oh, hang on, wait, what? Uh, Anyway, enough of talk about shit and hot air, except to refer to shooting some shit. And that's what we are here to do. So, for this first half of the program, uh, we're going to have Tim and John go through their top six or top five, I'm not sure. We'll um, see where their lists head. Uh, First time listens of 2014, and later on in the program... We'll be uh, speaking to uh, Eric Reanimator and hopefully to Dr. Smith. We're going to have Michael Persh, but uh, he's going to send in a separate segment for episode 69, which by the time you hear this, we'll have already gone to air. So um, it will it, it's pretty redundant. You'll have already heard that, but I don't know. I'm just rambling on. Anyway, so what we're going to do is let's get started. And John, we'll uh, let you start with um, your first pick of, okay, uh, nice. of the show. Um, and Tim, look, um, I'm happy to talk about the uh, shit we shot last summer. <laughs> that's, oh, that's what we'll dub this program. I still know what shit you shot last summer. That's what we're going to call this exactly. program. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, it was a big task when um, Morris asked me to come up with a top six because, um, I don't know about you, Tim, in my mind, this year I had a absolute unequivocal number one and then an absolute plethora of albums. Like I, th- I think there's been a lot of great releases this year, or more to the point, and I guess thanks to Morris um, in making our criteria not so tight, albums that I've just discovered this year. So I guess my top six is um, two, I think three albums released this year and three albums released uh, two in the noughties and one a couple of years ago. So coming in at number six, and I'll just preface it by uh, it's quite an interesting combination, and I'm interested if you guys have any opinion on these artists or uh, have heard of them, but uh, Bob Frank and John Murray, um, World Without End, The Murder Ballads. Very interesting pairing. Bob Frank uh, is this, um, I think um, Jim Dickinson, the great uh, producer, called him, uh, the greatest songwriter that no one's ever heard of. Wow! Now that from from Jim Dickinson, that's a high praise yeah. indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bob Frank's this very interesting character. He released this album in 1972. I think it was a self-titled album on Vanguard. It's uh, if you can get it, if you can get it on eBay or anywhere, it's very very expensive, and for whatever reason, it hasn't been re-released, and. He, he was, you know, he, he arrived with massive critical acclaim to promptly disappear for 30 years. Wow. So he released released this album. He was on the precipice of doing something, and then he just went away. Uh, he was born in 44, Tim, in Memphis, and uh, he didn't reemerge uh, from 70... So from 1972, he didn't reemerge until 2001, and he released an album... Um, called A Little Jest of Robin Hood, based on the great poem. So from 2001, he's been, I won't say prolific, but he's released an album every two or three years, so I think he's up to about six albums. But um, in 2006, uh, he uh, paired up with a young, uh, I guess Bob Frank in 2006 would have been 62. He paired up with a a young Californian songwriter called John Murray, and they basically did an old-style folk murder ballads album. Um, 
where they co-wrote the songs themselves. So it was a very unlikely pairing, you know, a 60-something with a 20-something. Uh, very, very stark. Um, uh, Bob Frank, uh, for my estimation, would be, I could probably, you know, it's, it's hard to compare pe- people to other people, but, you know, say Warren Zevon type um, type of songwriting and uh, vocalist. So, and good, so obviously, a good storyteller then. Very good storyteller, mm. and um, he, um, and then John Murray, uh, who's actually come out to Australia, I think at least once or twice, and much to my regret, I didn't catch him. He, he was at one of my favourite venues here in uh, Sydney, the Basement, and I, I probably should have gone. Um, and it's just an incredible album, you know, like. Um, each of the songs, you know, the just to give you a flavour, you know, it'd be called Jesse Washington, nineteen sixteen, Madeline, seventeen ninety seventeen ninety six, Bubba Rose, nineteen sixty one. So, yeah, one critic called it a musical version of a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. Um, huh. And it's yeah, like I guess these two guys of. You know, in 2006, it's the renewal of, uh, I guess, folk music's, uh, one of its darkest genres, the good old-fashioned murder ballads. Nice, nice. I wonder whether it has the Nick Cave stamp of approval. Mm. And and just just as a, um, I guess, and it's not an official choice, um, but, it, but I guess for our listeners, if they want to explore Bob Frank and John Murray, World Without End, the murder ballads, I'd really give a strong plug to John Murray's, I think it's his debut solo album, The Graceless Age, came out in 2012. And um, Bob Frank, I, it was actually quite funny, I actually corresponded with him, I think in some article there was an email address, mm-hmm. and I said, oh Bob, how do I buy your albums? He said, I oh, just send me a money order. Mm-hmm. And of course I go to the post office and money orders are a thing of the past now, and um, I think through the wonderful... Um, music uh, site uh, CD Baby that I uh, use quite a lot. I got, um, I think I got at least five or six of his albums, you know, relatively inexpensively for not too much postage. Okay. Nice. All right. Tim, your first choice. All right. Well, uh, this is something that I, uh, I listen to the band for a long time. Like, well, I have, but then... They put out something that I never knew was coming, and it was, uh, there's a band from uh, San Francisco, 1976, a band called Crime, and they were uh, one of the first definitive quote-unquote punk rock acts to come out of San Francisco in the 70s, mm-hmm. and uh, these guys, I think, you know, a lot of people are put off by what punk is or the ethos or the sound or whatever but crime were amazing like when they came out at the time there were four guys who basically dressed up like cops and went on stage in uniform and they played this like kind of like distorted rockabilly almost like like a combination of like bo diddley and you know heavy metal but it wasn't heavy metal. It was it was just like sped up rockabilly stuff. Mm-hmm. But they were so they were so like definitive. I mean, for what they did, you know. Um, I mean, like half the time you saw these guys. Like I said, they were dressed up like cops on stage, and the other half of the time 
they look like they were kind of like you know extras from cruising. <laughs> right. And and but uh, but the stuff they put out was amazing. I mean, like they were only around for a short time. They broke up and they got back together again. But they put out this compilation, and it, it's called uh, Crime. Uh, what was it called now? Shit. Got it right here. It wasn't Crime Pays, was it? No, 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 no. Crime of the Century. Crime, uh, I think Crime by Volume. Uh, murder by... Uh, crime by Murder. That's what it is. Crime by Murder. And... Uh, mur sorry, Murder by Guitar. What am I thinking of? Crime... Uh, I got Crime on the head. It was Murder by <laughs> Guitar. But... Um, no, like, I mean, it's amazing that these guys at the time... Like, you know, you think about not just their their uh, their fashion sense, but, I mean, like, the stuff they were doing was, you know, like, it was like a raunchier X or, like, you know, or but, but, but almost uh, that mixed with kind of, like, you know, like I say, uh, almost like uh, industrial stuff, too. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe their sound, but, Did like, it was, like, a really... They're, no, they're, well, what happened was they broke up. They broke up, and the singer, the singer, actually started another band after, like years later. They got was one of those things where they they finally got back together again, and then they broke up again, and then they started a band, and then the singer, uh, Johnny Strike, he started a band, and they're still playing in, in different variations, but it, it's like a really fuzzed out. Like the stuff they did was like a really fuzzed out, uh, you know kind of almost like Link Ray, like a sped up Link Ray rockabilly type of thing. And, and I mean, I've always loved this band. They were amazing. Mm. But Murder by Guitar, I mean, like, you, you should really, really check this out. It's a compilation of all their seven inches and uh, live, live tracks and everything. It's, it's just fantastic. But well, the Link Ray comparison has definitely got me interested. I love Link Ray. Yeah, I yeah but I mean... Like I say, it's like, you know, it's like rumble, rumble, like, you know, and like, you know, a thousand decibels, but just like raunched out, like, you know, speed up, sped up rockability. Like, it, it's it's just amazing. But I mean, if they were around today, think about, you know, four guys on stage playing loud, obnoxious rock and roll in police uniforms. <laughs> yeah, like today, oh, today it would be like, holy shit, you know, like, you know, like. And they go on stage with nightsticks and then on the little hats and everything and just go out and blow people's eardrums out. Nice. But, yeah, but I mean, for everything that everybody thought, thinks that, you know, the punk rock was derivative or it all sounded the same, like, Crime were a band that just stood head and shoulders above a lot of people. Mm. Excellent. All right, John, your next one. Okay, um, this was a guy that I had in, I, I bought an album just on a whim, you know, you... Um, uh, a title might uh, strike your fancy. A guy called Jeffrey Siler. Um, Yellow means infection was the name of the album. But it, uh, this is <laughs> he actually isn't my my number five pick. It's the band he was in before he went solo called Clement, and I think they were out of San Francisco. And the album is called Teeth Measure the Need. Um, Someone said it uh, may be the first recorded example of a new subgenre called emo alt country. Now I know that sounds a bit uh, scary, but um, again, a very, very literate songwriter. 
um, very quirky lyrics, and um, he'll, you know, he'll come in with a rhyme or two in the song, and then it will basically just go into free form, you know, like you're, I don't know, uh, best way to describe it, like you're eavesdropping on a conversation. But um, I think Clement only released um, two albums, and I managed to actually track down through, um, you know, the great eBay both of them mm-hmm. um, and um, very very uh, interesting um, you know mournful pedal steel viola um, but not uh, you know what I would say you know it's not old cu- not any country tropes it's uh, I guess definitely old country and uh, quite a quite a um, quite a good lyricist uh, so what's the subject matter cover um, relationships, um, little vin- vignettes of life. Oh, that's uh, very country. Mm, I know, uh, <laughs> but, 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 um, you know, he, he, um, he, he pours his heart out, but, uh, as I say, I, I just can't put my finger on it, but it's, uh, there's, there's someone that, um, I, I'm really impressed with. Um, one of the best bands uh, again uh, this album came out in 2004 and his solo album um, that led me to them Yellow Means Infection came out in 2009 but I can't see any other activity when I've you know looked him up on the internet there's no other activity either solo in uh, or in band form but um, um, look probably a little bit like Jay Farrah um, that that type of again you know i hate i hate saying those comparisons because i guess it never really it either um doesn't do the artist justice or it pigeonholes them into a place that yeah they're not it's not necessarily that overt um but that that type of style right okay excellent tim your next one all right this one is probably uh you guys are probably uh not going to be into this in any way whatsoever but regardless uh band that i've loved for many many years and i've had the chance to see them live it's a american band from new orleans they're called i hate god now oh, that's um that's a favorite of max uh, they these guys have been around like they are kind of like you know They've always had that ever, you know, whether the Energizer Rabbit, it keeps going and going and going and going, you know. Mm. Well, that's basically, you know, this band is that, you know, they've, they've been around since, you know, the early, early ages of sludge metal. I mean, like, these guys are kind of seen as the godfathers of a lot of heavy metal, well, modern sludge metal. Right. But, no, I, don't, um, I don't know a whole lot about Sludge apart from what I've heard on Feed My Ears, but I've you know I've listened to a little bit of Clutch at their recommendation. So how does um, how does what they do compare to uh, to Clutch? Well, Clutch is Clutch is more of a groove band. I mean, like Clutch Clutch is more of like a seventies. Like I I can put Clutch alongside a you know Humble Pie and stuff like that. I mean, I I see Clutch as being more like a seventies band. Okay. You know, they get based based in the seventies. But I hate God is more plotting, it's it's more, you know, slow and it's more just heavier and repetitive and it, it's like how can I say this, you know? 
their music is it, it, it's a total you know catharsis mm-hmm. you know i mean you know you know it's just like you know a purge that's what that's what they've always been about it's not about you know dwelling in you know i'm so bad you know hail satan and that kind of thing it's <laughs> it's it's more like an ache it's more like a you know when you wake up with a hangover and you're just like get this shit out of my head you know <laughs> like that and and you know and it's like there's they've suffered like these guys have been through addictions they've been through you know homelessness in new orleans when katrina hit uh there was a long time when the band they they were playing in different bands that the guys in i hate god were playing in different incarnations of different bands but then just recently uh they played australia they did a tour actually of australia and their drummer uh, Joey Lacaz, he died of a uh, what you call it, asthma attack. Oh wow! And this was a kind of band where they were just like you know, you get the guys together, and no, you know, it was like the Ramones. You can play the way they play, but you're not going to play like that. Yeah. And when they lost their drummer, they thought, "Fuck, what are we going to do?" But then, but then they knew, like their drummer was like, "Look, they'd always said, he said, if one of us dies, suck, man, we gotta carry on. It's just like just because I'm gone doesn't mean it's done, you know, or whatever." So they got a new, they got themselves a new drummer, and lo and behold, they put out the first album that they've done in over like oh shit now, over eight years, and everybody thought, you know, well, come on, it's been eight years, you know, like what's it gonna? And what's amazing is, you know, it's the same as it ever was. It's the same as it ever was. What they did is they never redefined the wheel. They didn't slow it down. They didn't try to tweak anything. They just kind of came out and did what they do. Right. And 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 live, it's just like seeing these guys. It's just insane because it's it's just like, oh my god, man. Like, and then these guys now. They've come out on the other side of darkness because, like, you know, their singer was a well-known uh, junkie. I mean, and now he's dry. He's completely clean. And, you know, it's like a lot of these guys had a lot of difficulties. But New Orleans, it's kind of like, you know, they're like that beaten dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think in Australia, too, you guys kind of have that, you know, rough and tumble where no matter how hard it gets, man, you just, you know, dig into the ground and you stand your ground and you weather the storm, right? Well, that's kind of like what I Hate God is like. And I mean, to me, when I still hear their music, it's just kind of like, you know, it rolls on. They're almost like a force in nature where, you know, you can always depend on them being around, you know? Hmm. So, so what was the name but, of this album that came out that you heard this year? It's just called, uh, it's self-titled. It's just called oh, okay. I Hate God. Right, right. But, that, that's uh, that's what EYE. Huh? What era did they start in? Like you were saying, in the, in the beginnings of Sludge. Oh, like, I would say, like, well, I Hate God came around the like, late 80s. Wow. Early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they've put out a lot of stuff, you know. Like, I mean, they, they, they put out, like, little, like, the problem is they've only put out, I think, about four or five albums. But then there was all these little seven inches in between, like, and then, you know, there was kind of like live recordings of this and that. But a lot of it, a lot of it was hard to pin down because, like I said, because of addictions, because of the law, because of a lot of different things. But these guys now, 
like I say, they, they've kind of been through the eye of the storm and they're older now and they're wiser and they're just kind of like, you know, in the end, it's not about us driving ourselves into the ground. It's about us kind of leaving a legacy with this music, right? And, uh, and that's the thing. And I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I, I, I really feel like there's a connection in the blues here too. Because what they do, it's kind of like that repetitive nature where you get into those rhythms, you know, like Howlin' Wolf used to do. Mm. And, you know, and it's just that kind of ache. And it's kind of like at the same time as you feel like you're down on your last dollar, you still say, fuck it, I'm just going to go on. You know, I, you know, nothing, nothing's going to put me down. You know, I mean, you know, I'm hurting, but I'm not out. And that's what I that's what I love about these guys is that you know like I say they're just like that beaten dog that it, it isn't, isn't it's not going to leave. Uh, e y e hate God. Yeah, but you're not you're not going to be out there uh, snapping your fingers at this one, Uncle Morris. I'm afraid. No groove. Well, I'm just saying I'm just saying it's kind of like you know it's not your thing. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's Max's thing. That's okay, but that's what we love about this time of year it's the diversity that's what we love there'll be someone out there who'll say yeah that's in my top five for the year too well you know what's really funny too is that people say that you know certain music has a certain age range you know and everyone is just like some people are like hey man how can you still listen to that shit and i'm like well the guys that make this music are about the same age as i am so why don't you kind of look them up and say well hey how can you still play this shit And I mean, you know, and all music to me, it, it, it's, you know, you never hear anybody say, gee, uh, don't, don't you think you're a little bit too old for a grilled cheese? Oh, like, you know, I, freq- like, I frequently ask that question all the time. I'm always asking people, aren't you a little bit too old to be eating grilled cheese? Right. Like, no, but I'm just saying like, when it comes to food or it comes to certain things, right? We don't, we don't tack an age onto it. Right. 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 But, when it, but when it comes to music. It's like when you see a little five-year-old kid sitting down listening to John Lee Hooker and he's getting into it. You're looking at that kid and you're just going, wait a minute, kid, man. You're too young to be listening to John Lee. Like, what the hell, man? Like, this isn't for you. But if the kid loves it, he he loves it. And he'll always love it. Absolutely. You want to to resonate John Lee Hooker and and Howlin' Wolf with the youngins nowadays. Sure. So that's, you know, to me, it's it's just a color. It's just something I enjoy and that's it. Right. You know? Okay, John, you're number four. Tim, I, Tim, I think um, you got it into into the household, not necessarily to Morris, with, with I Hate God. No, yeah. it, it's, it exists in our household because, exactly. because Max has discovered it. But uh, We may not get it. We may not get the uh, host of the show to listen to it. Okay, <laughs> number four, I'll be, I'll be interested to hear your opinions on this artist because I guess I've come really late to the party like about 20 years late and just um, I'm, I'm gobsmacked at how good this guy is and why I guess in all my musical um, you know, discovery and questing I never really uh, come across him. I was always aware of him. Chuck Prophet. Right, from, yeah, from, yeah, yeah. From Green on Red. Um, my number four pick is his uh, 2012 album Temple Beautiful. Oh, is he still working? Yeah, he's, okay. and, and in fact, um, actually tonight when I was, um, I just looked him up just before this podcast and he's just released an album uh, 
within the within the last two months called Night Surfer. So I'm just uh, as soon as this podcast is finished, I'm going to go and uh, order the uh, MP3 download uh, as a as a quick fix. Okay. But um, incredible songwriter. Um, I think um, uh, you know again. Are you guys familiar with Chuck or? Uh, I've only heard a little bit. I remember. I think. I think it might have been in the nineties. I used to play him on Triple R down here. I think it was in the nineties. Yeah. But... This this album surprised me. It's. Uh, I think it's his twelfth, and um, and then his Green on Red stuff, which I don't know. Um, I've got. I I got a few uh, Green on Red um, albums back in the day. Yep. Would it be fair to say they were a bit? They were psychedelic country, if that's a uh, a genre. Okay. But uh, again, really incredible songwriter. Um, yeah, he's probably he's probably in that. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether he's in that old country vein. I guess he is. But um, he's he very much um, he's a San Francisco man. So I think um, I feel like uh, I guess he's synonymity um not quite as i guess there's no one as synonymous with the city as say lou reed is with new york but um chuck um you know always pulls up name names and streets and suburbs and um very good album and uh it's, 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 it's interesting i've just sort of like been um, doing a little bit of a search and it says when you look up chuck prophet people also search for uh, a, one guy who you've just mentioned john murray yeah and also um people search for alejandro ascovito who i know yeah, is also a big fan of, 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 of you're a big <laughs> fan of and i think and i think that's how i came across chuck because he um he's either um I, i've either come across some duets with alejandro ascovito and or He's he's actually covered um, Escobedo songs, and nice. I think and I think he'll uh, he, you know he's done the odd or not odd quite often um, uh, Dylan cover, um, mm. but um, yeah, really good artist and uh, he's someone that I'm going to go backwards and uh, start to explore his back catalogue. So what was the name of the album again? Temple Beautiful. Okay. And, and I'll give a little call out to uh, Night Surfer, which um, might get on my list for next year if it's as good as this one. Yes. Okay. So, um, Tim, your next one. All right. Um, this is one I know that both of you will really enjoy and you can listen to. Appreciate. A um, number of years ago here in Seoul, there was a guy that came into town. He was just... Uh, visiting Korea. He wasn't even touring. This guy, Mark Kozlik, and uh, he actually was with the band before the uh, Red House Painters. Oh, yeah. Mm. He, he sat down and they talked him into doing two shows at a bar in Seoul and I actually mm. got to see him play and it was in a small place and it was just him with an acoustic guitar. And it was a it was amazing. It was really because, amazing. Uh, he, he was going to be one of my... He, he didn't make my top six, but um, he, he's a great artist. Oh, yeah. And um, it's not really... His stuff wasn't really my cup of tea, but when I really sat down and listened to what he was doing, there was something there that kind of stuck in my craw and always made me want to try to uh, 
you, you know when you, there's something you know there's something in music that you can't quite put your finger on and it really makes you want to listen to it more intently to try to figure out sure. what it is how it's hitting you you know so anyway uh he he's got a solo project sun kill moon mm. and he put out an album this year called benji uh, yeah. i've got to i'm going to interject here this um uh yeah uh, ben eisen of the uh all-time top 10 podcast he uh, cited this uh, oh sorry no i'm getting it wrong so it was uh, actually will smith um cited this in his uh, top five albums of uh, the year and i've given this a little bit of a listen and i loved what i heard i really did oh so yeah i'm gonna search out yeah, this yeah. Kill moon album absolutely no it's amazing like i mean um you know it was funny because it's really weird uh, a friend of mine had just gone through a personal loss in his family and he said that this album had really got him through and what's really strange is i i, I kind of took that as odd because Initially, I thought, okay, he's going to take some comfort from the music. But then later, when I actually sat down and listened to this album, all the songs are about death, about loss, about how we come and we go. Mm. And the whole album isn't very poetic or it isn't very metaphorical. It's just, you know, she was a girl that I knew and this is it and she's gone and that's the end of it, you know. But it, but it, I think there's a great uh, song about his father, isn't there, on the album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like, well, a lot of apparently from from digging into this, there, there's a lot of truth on this album, not just his dad, but apparently people mm. he knew too. We said there's, mm. a, there's a song on there, something about his, um, his mother's embrace, or he can't get along without his mother, or, or, or the, the mm. love of his mother, or something like that. That's a song that yeah. I heard, and it was just right, right. Right. The song that knocked me out was the the one about his father. Um, I don't know whether it's called Dear Dad or something like that, but it was just right. ab- absolutely brilliant songwriting. Right. Richard Ramirez died of natural causes. Like there is a. Mm. What's What's amazing about the album too is that as as morose as the subject matter is, it's a really you don't feel bad while you're listening to it. No. You know, I mean, it, it's like. You know, it's it's almost like it's not as peppy as uh, Jim Carroll's "People Who Died," but but it's uh, it's not a thing that you listen to and go, "Oh shit!" Now you know, it's not like that feeling you get from Joy Division. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I, I've, it's I've not always, that. I've always admired those sorts of songwriters who um, make you sort of like turn your head. They play some really really peppy upbeat tune, and the lyrics underneath are a complete counter. To uh, what the music is telling you, we often sort of speak about this on the show. You know, we might pick well, it up. It was like all those dead teenager songs from the fifties. You know, like Last right, Kiss right. and you know, Tell Laura I Love Her, like all that stuff. But I mean, but this is some cute. This this is some dynamite songwriting on this album, man, and it's it's really really good. Wonderful. So the name of that Sunkill Moon album again was Benji. 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 Right. No, except that I'm I'm definitely uh, looking into that one. Yep. And I think Morris, um, I, I'd second him. Uh, I'd uh, recommend his Red House Painters work. I, mm-hmm. I heard a little bit. I heard a little bit of the Red House Painters uh, back in the day. I think yeah. It was, yeah. About sometime in the nineties again, wasn't it? I had, um, I had a couple of friends who I used to do 
graveyard shift with at Triple uh, R here. Like I used to do graveyard shift every well one Saturday night a month, and I'd occasionally mm. get these two guys on, both from uh, Florida, as it turned out, and uh, they were both big Red House Painters fans, so they'd be uh, bringing bringing their stuff in and playing it on the overnight shift. So it's been a long time since I've heard the material, but um, but yeah, I, I have actually heard it. In, I really wanted to it. say something say something just for a minute i mean i'm not i don't mean to go off on a tangent but do you guys ever find sometimes that there's that kind of music that you have to be in your house to listen to it or you have to be in a quiet place like you know oh, yeah like i found when i was listening to this album for the first time i had it on my ipod and i was on the subway and i thought this is not the place for this yep you know this is not the place for walking down the street i mean there's there's albums I can listen to while I'm, you know, in transit, wherever I'm going or mm-hmm. out and about, you know. But then there's other things I have to put it on and sit down and, and you know, it's like a conversation in a bar. I've got to sit down with somebody and listen to them. Listen would, to them tell me their story, you know. Dare I say, Tim, I think um, to me the greatest litmus test is listen to an album alone in a room in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, like sure. that. That, and, and I think that's what you're saying, isn't it? Like, if you if you've ever listened to uh, Springsteen's Nebraska, you know, at, at midnight, you know, in bed in the dark, pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. You listen. Well, that's the that's the album there. You know, to listen man going in between Toronto and my hometown. You know, coming back from the club at like you know four a.m. in the morning. You know, like. You know, that was Johnny 99. I mean, like, that was that was what we listened to, you know. Mm. But that's perfect for the road. That's a road album. Mm. But there's but there's certain things, I think, that, you know, you got to sit down with music yeah. and you really have to commit to it instead of just looking at it as something that's just in the background while you're doing something else. You know? Right, right. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. Uh, of course, you know, if you ask me at the moment, name name a couple of albums that you need to sort of be sitting back and doing that. I probably probably sort of have to take some time to think about it, but um, certainly I guess any of the raw blues sort of stuff. Um, I mean, you're not going to be listening to uh, Sun House while you're uh, cleaning the house. But, uh, no. But, uh, yeah, no, so, no. yeah there, there are albums which you need to do under certain circumstances. That's yeah. I find, I find for me... You know the best the best actual scenario is like whenever I'm crossing the Pacific on the plane when I'm going back to North America, I've got that you know like that ten hour block or whenever. So I you know I, I've actually you know I, I know I, I set aside the music I know that's going to work on the plane you know. Right. Okay, John, you're uh, number three. Number three. Um, you, I think I've um, waxed lyrical about this artist. Um, <laughs> Uh, over a few of um, Shooting the Shits and some of our uh, intros to some of the album shows, uh, Tom Russell. Oh, yes. Um, mm. He released an album uh, called Aztec Jazz uh, with the Norwe- Norwegian Wind Ensemble. <laughs> and as, as unlikely as that sounds, it's, act- it's an actual live album. And it's a reimagining of a lot of his, um, you know, well-known songs. If indeed we could say he's got well-known songs, but I guess Tom Russell, for me, he's um, he's uh, born in the late 40s, and in, in my humble opinion, he's one of those mature artists that um, 
has, has gotten better in um, the last 10 to 15 years of his artistic life because he, he never really had a you know a great name album in his youth I suppose he's actually I feel um, gotten better and better and uh, this is just an incredible uh, live album the Norwegian wind ensemble you know great um, 31 members incredible bunch of musicians and um, if you're a fan of Tom Russell, um, a fan of his, you know, slightly Tex-Mex, Mariachi, Cowboy, um, his Johnny Cash-esque deep voice, uh, it's just an incredible reimagining of songs that we know, um, just with uh, this incredible backing. Uh, he's ably backed by his um, great uh, acoustic guitarist, uh, Thad Beckman, that's uh, been touring with him the last few years, and uh, it's just a, just one of those revelations. Um, it doesn't make sense that you'd put a Tom Russell with a Norwegian wind ensemble, but it's an album I um, can't uh, recommend enough. So, so you go and say he does you know, the the reimagining of familiar songs. So, can you? Quite well, a, a couple so, of songs, for example. Well, if um, like one of my favourite songs of his is "East of Woodstock, West of Vietnam," and uh, it almost has, and I, look, uh, you'll jump on this, Morris, but and I guess it's a bit of a stretch, but it almost has a Miles Davis sketches of Spain with oh. the strings and flutes and trombones that are thrown over it. So it's very exciting. Just, yeah, just a really. And, and, and this is what I like about Tom. It's, um, I think I've um, tried to steer you guys towards his um, 2006 Hot Walker album, which was basically uh, almost an American history lesson where he had um, people like Jack Kerouac and little Jimmy Horton, one of the famous circus midgets of the 1940s films, and Charles Bukowski, who he actually... Tom actually corresponded with in the last um, decade or so of Bukowski's life. Tom and Charles uh, sort of um, struck up a pen pal friendship. Um, and yeah, he's just a very literate songwriter. I uh, think, very interesting guy. I, I think you go they actually it. put out a book uh, or, or, or a kind of a pamphlet or something. Because when you said with Bukowski, that really yeah. struck a nerve with me because I think their letters were actually printed somewhere. I, I think I think Tim is absolutely right. I, um, I think he actually released it as a book. Yeah. So his 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 correspondence with Bukowski, which I guess might have been in the eighties. Um, right. I think I think um, Tom released it uh, about three or four years ago um, in a book version and. Yeah, he's just an interesting guy. He's a painter. Um, he's a um, uh, he he's he spent he spent a lot of time with uh, people like Hoyt uh, Axton. Um, you know, so he, he varies from out and out cowboy songs um, to folk to uh, like his last album was a tribute to all his uh, fallen heroes. I think it was uh, maybe about three shooting the two or three. Well, two shooting the shits ago was one of my uh, top picks for either 2011 or 2012. I can't remember when it came out, but yeah, interesting guy, and um, I'm 
I'm uh, pretty sure that uh, in next year's uh, Shooting the Shit, he's um, releasing a double album early next year called The Rose of Ross Cray, which, um, even though it's got an Irish-sounding uh, title, I think is going to be a, well, from what I understand, a, t- a double album, um, again, homage to the West, to the American West, and I'm hoping that if it's some, if it's anywhere near as good as Hot Walker, which I uh, rate as one of the great albums of the decade of uh, the noughties, um, mm. yeah, I, I really like this guy, and uh, as I say, I, there, there wouldn't be any album that he's released since 1999 that I wouldn't highly recommend. Nice. All right. Um, Tim, your number three. Uh, do you have six? Yeah. Okay, so your number three. I'm presuming you're going in right. some semblance of order. Uh, speaking of fallen heroes, John, you were talking yep. about. Uh, this is one that kind of uh, took me back and got me a long, took me a long time to get over. And that is the loss of one Mr. Johnny Winter. Mm. Yeah. That was heavy. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got I got lucky to see Johnny play when I was a kid, when I was in university. And, you know, him sitting on a chair, and he was half in the bag. and But he still plays. I mean, a lot of, you know, there's there's people that would have told you that he was, he was probably subpar that night. But to me, and about 95% of the crowd, he was on fire. But anyway, uh, you know, for a long time, Johnny was wrapped up in his addictions and uh, his his uh, touring really fell off. And then he actually came back. The fellow managed him, actually wound up playing with him as well. They released a uh, documentary last year about his lifetime. And then finally, they were getting together to put out this uh, album with them whole mess of people that were really influenced by Johnny a lot of people that he loved and just within you know a short time of the album being released he passed mm. and this album step back he's got everybody on this thing I mean Clapton's on this Brian Setzer's Billy Gibbons he's got Leslie West Dr. John Joe Perry you name it but, you know, it's so much fun to listen to because you got to realize how old he was when he recorded this album. I mean, you know, Johnny was, was no spring chicken. Was it released before his um, passing, Tim, or posthumously? I think it was actually, I think it was released uh, posthumously. Yeah. But, um, but it's a real, man, you talk about a send-off, though. This is almost like, you know... You know, like in New Orleans, how they actually have the brass band and they send you off and everybody's singing and dancing. You know, it's something like that inadvertently. I mean, he might have known it, but nobody else really did. It's it's nice. It's nice to hear that um, this album actually works well, because I know that, you know, with the advent, I guess, in the 90s of some of those albums where there's, you know, some performer who's uh, not necessarily coming back, but... Uh, they they do an all star affair, and you know have one singer, one guest singer, or one guest performer on this track, and another guest performer on that other track, and 
I've often felt that some of those albums are, are like a little bit of a they, ragtag. I mean, I think John Lee Hooker sort of got throw, it right, but... You're, you're saying they throw a bunch of shit to the wall and hoping that something will stick. Right, right. But you're saying that right. this was more it, like a, a gumbo, if you will. Yeah, this is fun. No, this is fun. I mean, like shit, you know? Was he Johnny playing Winter and, songs on it, Tim? Was it, or oh, was yeah. It, yeah. No, no. It's, it's all kinds of... It's a mix because, I mean, mm-hmm. like... You know, Leslie West and Johnny Winter are doing Long Tall Sally. How oh, can you man. how can you say no to that? <laughs> oh, I mean, holy mighty. shit, you know. Yeah. And you know, Dr. John does Blue Monday. Oh yeah. You know, like I mean, what what what's really neat about this album too is that, you know, it the all the songs fall within the parameters of what the guests their style. The songs that, you know, that they would really shine on. And Johnny and, you know, that at all. Right, 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 right. So what it is, is it's him more like he's jamming with them as opposed to them jamming with him. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, sure. And and band members, was it like uh, core long-time Johnny Winter band members who uh, who were playing like you know the, his rhythm section? Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, like I was saying, the one, I'm trying to think of the guy's name now, the one guitar player that he has was the guy's career. And he was the guy that became his manager and took care of all his financial shit and got him off of the smack. And um, I've still yet to see the documentary, but I'm dying to. Right. I really am. Yeah. What's the album called, Tim? It's called Step Back. Step Back. I'll have to try and track that one down. It's me, damn good, man. I mean, me, like, me I was. think really... your credit card's going to take a beating tonight, yeah. John. Well, look, I, I, I may save uh, $30 on I Hate God. But I'll use yeah. that. I'll use that money towards step back. Yeah. Okay. Um, John, your number two. Number two. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes you get a you buy a um, a tribute album, and um, so I bought this little tribute album a few years ago called Long Distance Salvation, a tribute to um, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. Funny enough. Well, there's, and a, there's a around. couple of Nebraska tribute yeah. albums out there, aren't there? Yeah, and, and and this one was quite good because it had um, all these. I mean, I think nearly every artist on there I'd never heard of. So, I, this uh, artist called Dark Shores, and I actually, I'm not even, I can't even remember the Nebraska song that he covered, but uh, he's he released. So, I, so I checked out a few of his albums, um, and yeah, you know, he was pretty much introspective. Uh, folk, you know, whispering acoustic acoustic guitars, and you know, really enjoyed him. But what blew me away? He released an album this year called um, Heal, H E A L, which was his fourth album, and it was nothing like that. It was a out and out rock record. Mm. So this guy, yeah, Dark Shores. It's just one person. His name's Timothy Showalter. Showalter. Um, he um, and it's just a really, you know, like he's he's got a he, he's an incredible songwriter. Like he's got an album called, oh, sorry, one of the songs on the album is called Daniel's Blues, which is a song taken from the perspective of Dan Aykroyd just after John Belushi's death. That's that's really interesting. See, yeah, that's, uh, that's great storytelling. I mean, I it haven't is. even heard the song, but just imagine putting yourself 
in a high profile person's shoes and what they feel that's that's a really excellent notion I, yeah. i'd love to hear that song yeah well and, and as i say this and I, I i can't recommend his other albums enough so the, the his band in inverted commas it's, it's really just him as an individual and i think the interesting interesting thing about the guy if i'm remembering when i researched him when i bought that long distance salvation album i think he was just like a school teacher and then he got into music, so he released an album called Dark Shores. That was the one that I came in on. And then he released. Then he had a bit of tragedy in his life. I think he, um, I think he, uh, like he lost a house in a fire. And he wrote an album um, called Pope Kill Dragon. And um, but then this one, Hill, it was like he was. Um, he, he, from what I understood, he went, he woodshed it and he, he wrote uh, 30 songs in about three weeks. And uh, he came out with a um, rock record which was basically um, paying um, tribute to the rock records that he grew up with. So, you know, he was, he was an artist I already liked, but now I like him even more because I can see a diversity that, you know, I, was, I would have been quite happy to keep um, listening to introspective folk albums, but um, he's you know, shown another um, vein. And this is the part uh, I think, um, uh, Mar- uh, Tim, you'll find interesting. When, um, oh, and, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm the only person that knows about this guy because I think he is you know, pretty obscure, but I was reading a, interestingly enough, I, I don't know whether it was Uncut or, or one of those you know, end of year lists, and uh, if I can remember the quote, Someone said uh, something like 2014 has, you know, seen some more, more or less spectacular albums like Sun Kill Moon's Benji and Sharon Van Etten's Are We There, both, by, both made by artists unrestrained and from completely pouring out, pouring out themselves, and they've said that Heal is a mixture of the two. Now, oh, wow. I, now yeah, now I can't really... I can't really comment on uh, young Sharon Van Etten, although I, I, I'm aware of her music. But um, right. yeah, I was just amazed that this guy, you know, even um, you know, they've like some of the guitar has been uh, com- on on heel has been compared to Jay Mascus uh, guitar playing. So it was wow. just a, yeah, it was just it was just a blow away that um, he you know he came out with something so different because I just thought. Yeah, this guy would make great uh, folk albums for the rest of his day. But um, right. yeah, quite quite interesting artist. Um, I'd recommend Dark Shores. I'd recommend um, Pope Kill Dragon. And as I say, the artist is Strand of Oaks. Uh, he's Philadelphia's Tim Showalter. Huh. Okay. And did you get that off CD Baby or? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, CD oh. Baby's. Um, I guess I'm still, um, I, I, I do the odd download, but I, CD Baby, the, for us, Morris, uh, disadvantaged down here in uh, Australia, when you can, when you can get a, an American website that charges as little as sometimes $3, $3.5 or $5 for postage of physical CD, it's very attractive that I can get the physical CD, you know, for only 2 or $3 more than... I guess the ubiquitous price now for downloads is nine ninety nine for us oh, down right. here, anyway. Mm. Oh, and uh, and Sydney's a little bit hard done by with physical CD stores nowadays, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Tim, you're uh, number two. 
All right. Well, as we were talking earlier about airplanes, um, I always find like sometimes on a long flight, they have these uh, pre-recorded sets in different genres, you know, the in-flight entertainment. And sometimes, you know, I'll fall asleep and I'll have the headphones on and I'll just put it on random and listen to stuff, you know, comes through and I'll, you know, start to nod off. So I had it on the blues channel and all of a sudden, this was like last, the end of last August. And all of a sudden this track comes on, this live track and my ears go up and I woke up and I was like, holy shit, man, that's like some wicked Chicago blues. Who the hell is this, right? And then I actually had to pull up the magazine and flip through to find out because they don't have the playlist on the screen. It was, you know, and anyway, turns out it's this guy, Gary Clark Jr. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. A few people on and the My Ears page have been uh, raving, <coughs> excuse me, raving about his live album. Yeah, that's the one. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I'm, man, I don't want to sound like a pretentious ass or anything like that at all, but. I'm, I've always, I always have this skepticism when it comes to the blues, like with new artists, because it's almost like you know, everybody's just trying to basically scrape all the resin out of the pipe. You know, <laughs> they're basically, you know, everything that's been burned has been burned, and you get these young bucks that are coming in and trying to basically say, well, I'm gonna pick up where Muddy left off or whatever, you know, and I'm just like the hell you are, you know, but. uh but Gary Clark, I mean, it blew my mind listening to this guy's stuff because holy shit, man, like, he's taking it back to, like, Butterfield, some of the stuff. Yep. And I was just, I was just really, really amazed with this album. Like, I mean, I'd only, I'd heard in advance of it on the plane, and then when it came out in September, I picked it up through Amazon and the digital download, and I was just like, shit, man, like, I got to see this guy live to see, you know, like, this is, this is wicked, you know? Tim, is it, is it his own take on the blues or is he reverential or? No, I mean, it's, it's a little half and half. I mean, you know, you, you can, you can definitely, like I say, get a feel of like Chicago with it, but he also has his own variation of things, which I think is playing it smart. Because if he tried to play it as authentic, you know, as, you know, that everyone would just say, oh, you're just trying to ape this and ape that, you know, whatever. And I think that he'd, he'd kind of uh, cut off a lot of the younger audience because, you know, it, 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 it's like, you know, it's almost like booze, right? Some people have to have their shit watered down, right? Some people just can't take a straight shot. And that's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, that's the way it is, you know? And I think, you know, that a lot of, uh, it's like jazz. I mean, like, you know, a lot of people come into jazz through like, you know, acid jazz or this jazz or that jazz, you know. But if you're going to, you know, straight up, you know, shove Coltrane into somebody's ears, then a lot of people just can't, they can't handle it because it's, it's just too obtruse, right? It's just too, too strange. Yeah. But I like, but I really like the Gary Clark. I mean, he's really done something here that, uh, you know, I, I still play this around the house all the time, you know, and it's just so funny because it's like, you know, I've been trying to get my buddy at the local here to actually put it on 
because they're always playing hip hop and dance music and stuff. And I'm just like, come on, throw this on for a little while. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, come on, man. I don't know if anybody will be into this. I said, I'll be into it. And I'm buying drinks here. So shut up, put it on. You know? <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, but it, I was really impressed. Like this is, this is a great, great record. Double, double CD set. Definitely pick it up. Yeah, I had seen it around the traps and people in Feed My Ears have been talking about it, but with your recommendation, that's it. Sold. I'm getting it. All right, John, it's number one time. Number if, one. I, okay, I'll give you yeah. a drum roll, but I don't have my sticks with me. Yeah. So. Look, um, I, I guess I, I'll start off by asking you guys this. Do you, do you find, like, you have, um, you know, mature artists, let's say, you know, artists that have been around for a long time and... Whenever any album they release, you know, there's a lot of hype and, you know, there's a fine line whether it's actually good, you know, like, you know, you know, a Bob Seger could release a new album or a Tom right. Petty and sure. just, it's just based on their reputation, you know, they go, oh yeah, this is great, you know, it's the, but anyway, uh, this, this, the album I'm about to nominate for my number one and it's a Head and Shoulders, Head and Shoulders, the best album I've heard from a mature artist that's you know been around twenty plus years for many many a year, um, and uh, where I judge an album by a mature artist, it's it's an album that is top of their game, challenges their best, and this one is Lucinda Williams' "Where the Spirit Meets the Bone." Nice, nice. Wow. Absolutely blew me away. Um, I'm a Lucinda fan, but I've, um, I guess I've uh, uh, been a non-practicing Catholic Lucinda in the last you know, decade or so. I mean, uh, this album actually made me revisit Blessed from about two years ago, and I realised that in this, um, you know, iTunes age that I probably let that one go through to the keeper. I um, didn't give it a proper listen, but... This one, uh, where the spirit meets the bone, I believe the um, origins were she the first the top, uh, the first track uh, called uh, composition I think um, was actually one of her father her her um, poet father's poems. It's the first time she actually attempted to put one of those to music. But what I like about this album, it's Lucinda. If if you think it was could be at all possible that her vocals could sound more wasted and slurred they are the, her, her vocal performance on this is absolutely extraordinary um there's organ um all throughout the songs you know it's like garth hudson-esque type organ right. uh the guitar the guitar playing is tremendous i think it's bill, bill frisell plays on this album yeah, the, he, that's he's, right. my, he's my hero. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the the instrumentation on the album, and, and Lucinda's called it um, "country soul." I think she she dubbed it. But I just Look. every every song's a knockout. The, yeah, the song the song called "Burning Bridges" um, is a standout, and it's just made me. I guess you know, Lucinda got me in the early part of a career. Knocked me for knocked me out with car wheels on a gravel road, and then I've been. Okay, that's the one I love. That's the one. Yeah, that I, I, think, I think I'm, I'm the freak. I'm the freak here because um, I 
do love her stuff, but for some reason, I don't know what it is, that album never grabbed me. The one really? where I started... The, look, I loved the um, the ones before that. I think there was like the self-titled one, which had mm, Chase, Chase, the, Chase the Locks. Yeah. Uh, Sweet Old World. And yeah. then I went to um, uh, the one that had I Cherish the Rain. Or, um, and was, that, was that Essence? Possibly? That was Essence, yeah, yeah. Essence, yeah, yeah. I adore Essence. Mm. And uh, so, I, look, I've got about three or four of her albums, but well, maybe i got to go back to Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, but just everyone was sort of raving on about it. I said, well, you know, it's good, but... Uh. But uh, no, this, this new one... Uh, confessedly I've not listened to it like a whole heap of times that I could sort of put it in my top five or top mm. six but I've listened to it enough to know that it's one of those uh, I mean look I, I love the whole uh, concept of the double album and I know that yeah. often that there's a double album e- even even if there's filler I just love the notion of a double album because mm. I know it'll be sprawling that's a word that we like to use and you know amongst Amongst the greatness, they're going to be, you know, a few that are just a little bit ordinary, but they'll still somehow work. But there's nothing that I've heard on this double album that I didn't like. I, I, yeah, I, and, and, and Morris, I, I'm like you. I like the double album, but even more so, a double album from the previously very, very precious in the studio, Lucinda Williams, it's like she's cut the shackles. Yeah, she... She, uh, I think she's already talking about um, releasing number, another album soon. I mean, you, you, you guys have probably heard the stories. She nearly um, drove Steve Earle back to drugs um, in, <laughs> when, he, when he produced Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. She was so difficult yeah. and they battled so hard and, um, you know, they eventually came out the other end. But... Uh, it's, yeah. it's, that's probably why he says Emmy Lou Harris is his favourite. Oh uh, yeah. He, favorite. Well, well, it's it's funny. I um I I came across um a live show. I think it was a relatively recent live show. Steve um, guested on um, vocals on at one of her shows, and he said, "I've still got the mental scars from <laughs> the time in the studio with her." Oh, but he but, but he uh, still went and appeared with her. So he yeah, that's forgiven. right. So I think um I think they've um. Um, kissed and made up, but but she's actually had a very acrimonious um, over car wheels on a gravel road. She had a very acrimonious split with uh, Griff Morlocks. Griff uh, Morlocks. Griff Morlocks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he he was. <laughs> I think he went in first, and she basically <laughs> destroyed him. Right. And when and then when subsequently when car wheels became such a critical and I guess to. Yeah, and I guess a commercial hit. He was really bitter that, you know, well, why, why, you know, he he quit in a huff, and Earl, you know, the Twang Trust um, Studios took over, took over duties, and I guess finished the album. But yeah, I I, I rate I reckon this one um, challenges Car Wheels on a gravel road uh, as and instrumentally it's just brilliant, um, and her vocals are just oh. Yeah, you know, just she's really to me. She's that um, even though she's you know obviously old country or whatever. To me, she's the ultimate rock chick now. Oh, there's there's a lot more going on here. You know, she's. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know why. She, for some reason, a lot of her tunes make me think of Keith Richards. So mm-hmm. that, that would make it's her dirty uh, the guitar, ultimate. isn't it? It is. That's yeah. that's definitely got something. She's got this grit. She's got this integrity. And um, look, there was a there was a bootleg that I heard of hers from. Uh, I think the early noughties or the late nineties, mm. where mm. she's introduced as being 
it was like at some some uh, festival. I I can't remember. Maybe it was in Texas. And yeah. she was introduced as the greatest songwriter on the planet. Yeah. I, I mean, well, you know where I stand with my Richard Thompson in, in being in that role, but uh, yeah. certainly she's you know staking a good claim to that. And this well, album, this, yeah, this album yeah, well, this album's made me you know not reassess her, but uh, and yeah, and and look, it's a it's a big stretch to say greatest or whatever, but I'd have to you know I, I really think she is one of the great songwriters and. Uh, let's say, you know, let's go into female songwriters. Uh, I don't know that there's many, you know, you know, you, I guess you throw in your Joni Mitchells or whatever, but I guess someone that's still operating, still touring regularly, to me, she, you know, and she, I think she's about 61 now. Right. I think she, to, me, to me, she may be old country, but she's the ultimate tough leather-clad leather rock chick. Um, and... Um, yeah, I just think this is a towering album, and and as you touched upon, I can't quite express why, but even more for the fact that it's a double album, and a right. double album from her, it's um, it's a bit of a statement, and and it's just a, it's a great listen. You can get lost in it. Yep, yep. No, I I'll wholeheartedly endorse and, and that. And Morris, I'll 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 you know I'll recommend Car Wheels on a Gravel Road to me was one of the better albums you know of the '90s. Just listen to you know her tribute to Blaze Foley and Drunken Angel. Uh, she, I, I just think it's an incredible and Lake Charles and I just yep. think that's an incredible album. Yeah, worth worth giving another listen. Look, I will definitely return to that, and I think there might have been one of those Universal Deluxe Edition versions that came out a couple of years ago, which yeah. had a whole heap of bonus stuff. So I might yeah. have to pick that up for myself. And, and I've reassess. And, and just lastly on Lucinda, she's. Um, yeah, she's touring. I think uh, as we speak, or as, or has done some tours uh, this year. And I've come across a few live recordings. Re- the the songs come across really well live. Uh, she's even incorporated into the live set um, a very interesting version of Neil Young's "Rocking in the Free World." Oh man! I Can can't... you imagine "Rocking in the Free World" with her vocals? You know what? I'm. I'm as you. Speak it. I'm, I've actually got it going in my head, and I imagine mm. she'd do a fantastic job. She there's there's bound to be something on YouTube. Oh yeah, she absolutely. She redefines Rocky in the Free World. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a that's a really terrific number one there, um, Tim. Your number one. All right. Well, this isn't going to be much of a surprise because uh, the artist that wound up becoming my number one is an artist that I mentioned last year and the year before. This is a, a group from America led by one Michael Zira. It's a group called the Swans. I had a feeling this would be, yep. Yeah, and their album, To Be Kind, it's a double CD. Uh, you were going on about your double discs. Man, does this ever pack a fucking wallop. Holy shit. You know, what a, what amazes me like everyone says well you know how could you how could you love the swans again and again and again and it's like you know there's so many bands out there today that just go with one formula and they stick with it and a lot of people would say that it's the swans but au contraire it is not if you ever if you're familiar with miles davis and the things that Miles Davis did that he always tried to redefine himself with everything he did. 
and you knew that it was Miles. Yes. But it was different. And he was always trying to solve a riddle in his head. And he always tried to scrabble to get the answers of what was inside. And, you know, he always came up with something new, but it was still Miles. Well, that's the thing with the Swans that's so amazing with this new album, To Be Kind, is that you know it's them. There's no there's no denying, you know, it's it's flat out Swans. But at the same time, it's very different from the last album that they just put out about a year and a half ago. And it's very different from the album that they put out two years ago. Now that which one? That was a Sia that um, that the uh, Seer was last year, and then the the album before that was you know a climb the ladder. Yeah, I took a bit of a listen but, to that on uh, on YouTube, and I was really enjoying it. What's yeah, their it's, well, if you could describe them, Tim. How to describe them? Well, the Swans are like they they came out of New York City in the eighties, and they, originally they were kind of an industrial noise band. Where you know they would they would actually play like sheet you know sheets of sheet metal on stage and it was just like this kind of like droning wall of noise repetition repetition like a mantra almost like like Buddhist chant type of thing you know mm. and then they they started to get into this you know uh, they started to branch out and to get into more esoteric things like they started to become more uh, more refined and I mean how can I say this was very very pummeling like the the early uh, the mid 80s swans and the early 80s swans was very very pummeling it was very like intense like getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer for about an hour but um, then they started to actually get into you know writing songs and they started to refine it where it's almost like like you were saying about the Murder Ballads album, John, that you know you were saying that you really enjoyed, where it was very minimalistic, mm. very threadbare, but very intense. And it's like, you know, where, where they started a career of just being cacophonous, they actually dialed it back, and and they, they got very, not, not soft, but they got very... Um, found a different way to be intense. And then they broke up. And then everyone thought that was the end of it. And then Michael Gira, the lead uh, linchpin behind the Swans, he started a band called the Angels of Light. And I think you would really like their stuff, John. It was very, it's kind of dirgy, like acoustic guitar, almost like American Gothic. Very, very um, apocalyptic you know, like, the Zira, Zira was almost like, you know, like a minister, the way he would sing. He had this real heavy baritone uh, cadence to him. And the Angels of Light stuff is just beautiful. I mean, he, he did work with Lowe um, on the last album that the Swans did, The Seer. So if you like Lowe, are you familiar with Lowe? Yes, yes. Yeah, if you like Lowe... And that kind of thing, uh, it's in the ballpark. But but then what happened was that with the last three albums that the Swans have put out again, they've started to get heavier again. They've started to get muscular again. They've started to do uh, get into this rhythmic progression of this repetitive. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it. It's 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 almost like uh, heavy jazz. 
but at the same time, it's not. There's elements of, uh, well, one of the influences of Michael Gira, for example, there's an, there's a track on the album called Just a Little Boy for Chester Burnett. So, I mean, you know, there's, it's almost like a modern blues. And this is the thing that really, like I was saying earlier about I Hate God, too, where, you know, everybody says, well, the blues is the blues, that's it. But there's interpretations of the blues, or there's the feeling of the blues, there's that eminence that, that kind of, you know, the seeps into people, you know, like the, the feeling of Howlin' Wolf, I mean, you know, People would say that, you know, how could a band from New York City say that they're influenced by Howling Wolf? Like, but, but you know, a band like that, that would play rather loud music. But it's the whole honesty of it, the whole scaling it down to cutting all the meat off the bone and getting right down to the core of it. You know, that's that's the thing that Wolf did. And that's the thing that, you know, the Swans do so well. Is that you know when you listen to Howlin' Wolf, you get into a trance, and it's almost like you know it's like going to a bar where you have a drink and you say okay, and then you have another drink and another drink and another drink, and you're just going. And on this album, the Swans they do like these you know 15 minute songs, you know, or like 20 minute songs, and it starts off with a basic rhythm and it, it, it's repetitive and repetitive and it's repetitive, and it's just like basic blues where it just draws you in and it draws you in. And at first, you know, you're thinking, okay, where is this going? Where is this going? I'm going to follow it. I'm going to follow it. And before you know it, 20 minutes have gone by and you've gone down this wormhole and you're like, holy shit, you know? Mm. So the whole album is just, it, to me, it's it's just an amazing record. And is it one that you uh, found you were listening to in one sit? That's a hard thing because it's a double CD. You're right. And what I've actually done with this album is actually I've I've chewed on it in bites, right? Because it's it's almost it's almost like white chocolate, you know. Where if you're gonna sit down and eat it all in one sitting, you're gonna be sick, you know. <laughs> so, well, do you find you can listen to one CD at a time, or you find you listen to uh, you know half? No, I listen to one so CD once. No, it it's not that it, it's not that it's intense. It's just that it's like you know. Every track is it's it's almost like a like a travelogue right. this whole album because it's like you know one track will just take you off on this tangent and it's almost like like I like I you know compared them to Miles in the beginning and it's just like that where you know when you listen to Bitches Brew there's tracks on that that'll just take you off and you, you, you if you're willing to follow it you know just like a snake you know you're following this snake and where the hell is it going and you're just watching it go and and you you can get off on that i mean like that's the that's the thing that i really love about about music is that you can just get lost in it yes you know you you know and, and you you're just in this snow globe this this kind of this bubble that this you know artist kind of puts up you know they 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 they're architects that just design this whole thing that surrounds you and it's just incredible man all right well, there you go. We've um, had well, our list from um, Tim and John tonight. Um, and if, if you want diversity, you can't say you don't get diversity here at Love That Album. So uh, thank you very much, gents, for uh, for uh, your time tonight. And the rest of the shooting sh crew, 
will appear like magic after this break. Uh, we should be having Eric Reanimator, Jeff Smith and myself, but um, we'll find out after the break. You're uh, listening to Love That Album, Episode 70, uh, Shooting the Shit. Thanks, Tim and John. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Morris. Thank you, Tim. podcast listeners here's an update see here we know some of that bad brown acid has been going around but we've got an alternative see here have these headphones here throw them on see here movies for your mind see here see here podcast we discuss music related films once a month find us on itunes or at see here that's s-e-e-h-e-a-r podbean.com Just relax, listen, and float downstream. See here. Back from break, Morris speaking here, and before we were at the break, you would have heard the uh, wonderful discussion and discourse from John Sterrett and from Tim Merrill, and like magic, here we are after the break, and I've got another two people to uh, discuss music with, and not only that, what has only been like a minute for you listeners has actually been a week for me, because we're recording this a week after that first discussion. Uh, but uh, anyway, so on the other end of a Skype connection, I have in Melbourne, but not in the same room as me, I have Dr. Jeff Smith. Good evening, Jeff. Good evening to you, Morris. And uh, also uh, the uh, final member of the Shooting the Shit crew, uh, Mr. Eric Reanimator. Good evening, Eric. Good evening, Eric. Hello. Hello. I should hello. really be saying good morning. Yeah, well, it's kind of more like good middle of the night, but... <clears throat> <laughs> but we here at Love That Album Studios, we appreciate uh, the dedication, the love that you have for your role here on uh, Love That Album. You've uh, done some fantastic uh, Love That Album compilation series specials this year. It's been a really good year for having you put those out, as well as keeping up the hard work in the <coughs> salt mines, doing the Album That I Love segment for the uh, for the main shows. So, um, uh, And here you are getting up in the middle of the night to talk, to shoot the shit with us. That's the dedication of a true music fan. And you can't see it, well, but I'm saluting you. It's it's my pleasure. It gives me the outlet to uh, to do something something besides my day to day world life stuff. So indeed, and yes. I get to talk about music. Well, which is why we do this podcast. It's it's all of all three of us. In fact, really, all five of us um, getting that opportunity to uh, leave the daily world behind and talk about what's really important to the five of us and uh that is music in case that you listeners out there hadn't guessed it yet after 69 previous specials of this show and and uh <laughs> i think 11 compilation series episodes of uh, love that album. Oh, something like that yeah something and like that so um here we are all right so um <laughs> 
this, so the first half of the show, I was uh, merely just putting in my two cents worth for um, whenever John and Tim were uh, talking about their albums. But uh, this time around, I too will be giving my albums of the year. Um, and once again, just to reiterate, the rules there are basically that can be albums that were released this year or albums that we heard for the first time this year. Uh, there's, you know, we, we're not going to limit it to uh, just albums that came out this year because basically we're you know, digging into the archives and people are always making recommendations of something that might have come out 20 years ago and that really could have rocked our socks off. And um, you know, why should we exclude that from, uh, from the show? And indeed, half the reason is not just talking about what we love, but making recommendations to you, the listeners. So, um, okay, we're going to go in a round robin, and I think uh, we'll start off with uh, with Jeff. What's um, what's your first pick? And oh, sorry, I should ask: Are you guys going to go in a defined order, or just six albums? Well, I'm, <clears throat> I was planning on doing just just the albums. I don't have any particular order. I think the ones that I've chosen are all good and interesting for for varied reasons, and I, I don't know if I can pick a best. Yeah, yep. No, I'm with you on that. Same here. So, um, um, Eric, so, I don't know if you have an order either. So, uh, not really. I'm gonna. I have I have uh, like a couple of groupings. Like uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna talk about a couple soundtracks and. Then couple older albums and then three new albums and then give my honorable mention slash stuff i haven't gotten to hear yet so nice all right okay we'll we'll go like that so um jeff uh you can start okay well, well the first the first one on my list in no particular order is uh <clears throat> an album came out this year called salvation town and that's by johnny two bags i don't know if you're aware of uh, of the existence of johnny two bags i must confess uh, i'm not um Sometimes known as Johnny Wickersham, he's the guitarist in a band called Social Distortion, who I know you are aware of and and uh, dislike quite intensely. I, 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 look, that's making it too uh, too strong a point, but they didn't do terribly much for me, I must confess. Eric, would that uh, would Social Distortion have been in your um, in your wheelhouse? Oh yeah, I'm a big Social Distortion fan. Um, you know, they're not. They're, I don't. I don't follow the cult of Social Distortion. But I think at different times in their uh, career, they wrote some amazing songs, and I think they are kind of a, a overlooked, important punk band because of how long they stuck around and kind of the following they've built up. Yeah, I, I agree. I, can't, I wouldn't follow the cult of social distortion. I, I kind of dip in and dip out and find there's there's some great stuff in there, and there's some stuff that I would think, well, now that I've heard that, I probably won't listen to it again. But yeah. Um, this uh, this album by uh, Johnny Two Bags isn't um, in the re- in the genre of social distortion really at all. It's much more kind of uh, towards the sort of country rock end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much softer softer sound. Um, I mean, it's still guitar based. Um, there's elements of you know Graham Parker, maybe Nick Lowe in there as well that you can sort of hear floating around. And um, <clears throat> when I first heard it, there was a song on there uh, called "Then You Stand Alone." Which I thought, oh, that that sounds a lot like Jackson Brown, and you know, I'm a big Jackson Brown fan. I thought, well, just somebody obviously influenced by Jackson Brown there, and uh, thought no more of it. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I you know listened to it again and uh, and looked looked it up and looked up some details, and it's actually a vocal collaboration f- featuring Jackson Brown on the song on the album, um, and I believe David Lindley also plays uh, some guitar on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's some fairly heavyweight uh, 
<clears throat> some fairly heavyweight guys in there. I believe Pete Thomas as well plays on there. Oh, the nice. drummer. The drummer. Yep. Um, so you know, there's, there's, there's obviously got some uh, some fairly hefty friends al along to to help out, as it were. Um, rather than go through anything, you know, track by track, it's 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 in the sort of um, school of hard knocks. You know, life's hard, but let's somehow find a way to be optimistic about it. Um, you know, the constant struggle of trying to trying to do the right thing and make the right choice, and not always doing that. Um, you know, trying to fight your way back into some sort of normality, sometimes because of something you've done deliberately and sometimes because of things that just kind of seem to come down the pipeline, you know? And, uh, you know, what works for me is the, the, the genre of music is, you know, obviously you guys have heard me talk before, it, it's that sort of Americana that I really love. Yes. Um, yeah. A lot of country sounds in there, but more the sort of folk end of country rather than your, uh, you know, slide guitar and, and twangy sort of irritating stuff um so yeah that kind of works but then it's, it's the the lyrics first and foremost that always grab me about you know like hearing new stuff and i think oh oh he's got something to say you know i kind of kind of like that and and that that kind of school of hard knocks just appeals you know from my uh, sitting here from my my middle class urban upbringing you know um, but you know it just sort of it just sort of really just resonates um and you know the, the the music obviously is is very good. I mean, a lot of people would think, you know, I've heard that sort of country rock before. Mm -hmm. um, the vocals are f sort of kind of kind of rough. They, they you know they're, they're not as rough maybe as John Hyatt or or anybody there. But um, <laughs> you know he's, he's he's not quite got the how 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 down yet. But mm -hmm. you know I just say give the guy give the guy another couple of albums. This was his debut album. So if, as a debut album as debut albums go, I think this one's extraordinarily strong. Um, the first track, uh, one foot in the gutter. Yeah, kind of sums the whole thing up. It's one foot in the gutter, one foot kicking down the door of heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's that it's that kind of sentiment all the way through. But it's it's consistent. The music's really great. Um, I would strongly recommend. Uh, I'm sure all, all fans of Social Distortion would probably check it out once they they read about it or you became aware of it. Um, but certainly to, to people who like that that Americana genre, and you know, he certainly he's on tour in the states, touring all over the place. And uh, if he makes his way down to Australia, I would hopefully be able to you know get a ticket and go along and see him. I'll make two points. First of all, you did raise my interest by making the Graham Parker and Nick Lowe comparison. And secondly of all, um, you've broken the hoodoo, Jeff. You mentioned Voldemort. Oh. Yeah, I mentioned John Hyatt and the whole technology thing didn't melt itself. It, it didn't. We've broken the hex. You know what that means. We're discussing Bring the Family next year. Yeah, I think we have to do that. Bring the Family Revisited. It's, it's such a lovable album. Yeah. So I was I was not aware of this record, and it, and it, it continues our ongoing discussion about punks gone country or punks gone roots <laughs> rock, which is, seems to be the big one of the two big themes or three big themes on the show. Mm, mm. And uh, this definitely looks interesting. And I, I think one of the things that actually made Social D the uh, have the longevity that they did was not just that they wrote great catchy punk songs, but that. You know, over the years they matured and they definitely played with the, the country, rockabilly, folk kind of thing. And I know that uh, <clears throat> Mike Ness's solo albums were maybe more in this this kind of a wheelhouse. So I'm definitely going to look this record up. 
Nice. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, I mean, obviously you're going to with your eyes open. You know the kind of area that it's yeah. going to cover. Um, but yeah, there's sort of the punks. Punks gone country is a, a good thing. I mean, I started listening to Social Distortion. Um, I really didn't like the the very early stuff where it was much nearer mm-hmm. punk, much nearer punk than country. It was the kind of country country sort of noises and 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 in the melodies that kind of pulled me in. Yeah. You know. Um, Songs like you know Prison Bound and um, you know Story of My Life, you know, yeah. The, oh, yeah. So being their being their probably better known better known numbers, but um, they've done a couple of albums of you know covers um, of fairly oh, yeah. famous songs, which which I which I really like their uh, their their arrangements of or their treatment of. I mean, some would say they're uh, kind of dismembering of, but uh, you know, I think they're that's just a. It's not the greatest music in the world ever, but it just works for me, you know, and that's, I guess, what music's all about, really. Indeed. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you on that. Mm. Okay, Eric, your first choice. Okay, so first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the soundtracks. Um, for those of you that don't know, I had a major computer failure this year and I had to replace my laptop, and that meant that I, because they're two different sizes of hard drive, that I had to, you know, basically rebuild my iTunes sometime around... September, and so uh, you know that that really interrupted my flow of keeping track of things. So, uh, and I just I I was playing a lot of um, stuff on CD in the car and trying to catch up with my podcast queue. So I didn't have time for as much music as I would like to have. But um, it's really briefly I want to talk about uh, three soundtracks that um, I really liked, and the first one is the Lego Movie soundtrack. I think the that song, Everything is Awesome, is basically exactly what it says. I think Mark, Mark Mothers bought, let's talk about another another former punk gone to a genre that, that usually you don't see this kind of fun, hyper-poppy earworm that's not, that's not grating on the nerves, that doesn't make you, or at least doesn't make me feel dirty. I thought that was kind of a brilliant song and a brilliant motif, and I love the way that they transform the song to different genres throughout the film kind of like um, the title song from Altman's Long Goodbye. So there's that. Um, Mm. The second one was uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, which was basically just a lot of great 70s, late 60s, 70s, and into early 80s, you know, um, glam and uh, a little bit of singer-songwriter stuff, a little bit of Motown. Uh, I think that collection, though, was great in that it used songs that had been forgotten by artists that had largely been forgotten. And, uh, you know, somehow it worked exactly, for me at least, with the visuals of the film. But I think it also gave an emotional heft to the, uh, the film that you don't usually see, or you don't see any more from these the soundtracks. They're just collections of uh, oldies or whatever that seem designed to move units to a certain generation. That whatever was, that generation yeah, that, that may was, be. That, that was a big thing, I think, over the 90s. You know, you had your shows like Tour of Duty and your cocktail soundtrack yeah. and all those sorts of things that you're talking about. So I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy, but it sounds like what you're saying there, from what other people I've um, I've read or heard about, you know, saying about the film, was that the music seemed uh, really well chosen for, uh, for all yeah. the scenarios. It wasn't just, let's take a walk down memory lane, although I guess yeah, there'll exactly. be an element of that, but... It wasn't cheap nostalgia, and, and because of the context of how the music is played in the film, and that's the other part of it, is <clears throat> the soundtrack is this, it's called Awesome Mix Number 1, and it's supposedly the, the main character is given this cassette by his mother. So okay. it, it, it's actually played, I forget what, in the film, and the, as in 
he's actually listening to the music either on his Walkman or on his, his uh, stereo in his spaceship. And yeah, there's scenes that they use it for, for overlay music, but you know, that to me, it really gave an emotional heft to a, what I thought was a great fun romp for, you know, of the star Wars variety. So yeah, I really like that. And, you know, I, I think pretty much people know about that just like they know about the, the Lego movie song. Mm. The third thing, um, all right, I'm going to have a hard time saying this band's name. It's Sonola Caves, and they did a soundtrack for a film a couple years ago called Beyond the Black Rainbow that came out this year on vinyl. And I think it's the first official release. And the film is, is a movie, one of the few movies that I really just had to turn off because I wasn't into it. Right. And it's set in the 80s, and this has a very you know, tangerine dream kind of soundscape vibe to it. There's no lyrics. Mm-hmm. But it's just this great uh, repulsive uh, soundscape, uh, electronic, of, of that like early 80s, late 70s kind of arty horror film. Yep. And it's just great relaxing score music, basically, that you can listen to on, on its own. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And then some of the stuff is all over YouTube, so I highly recommend people just you know check that out, put it on in the background or whatever. So um, what would that call they called Sonola. It's S I N O I. So I guess there's no L in there. Sonola uh-huh. Caves. Okay. And it's the, the soundtrack for the film Beyond the Black Rainbow. So I'm pretty sure I saw someone talking about that in the last couple of years on the GGTMC Facebook oh, yeah. page. I, 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 if I recall correctly, I think that film was fairly divisive. Yeah. <sighs> it was not. What I what I saw of it was. It was these beautiful images and this beautiful music with no real narrative structure that I could pick up on or uh, hook into. Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to, if you want to throw it on in the background right. uh, and just, or you know, you're doing something else, I think it's fine. But it, it's it's not the kind of thing that um, has a well, at least when I watched of it, right? Didn't have the kind of plot that's going to hook you in. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it was it was competently made. It looked beautiful. It sounded beautiful. So nice. All right, um, I'll go into my first selection, and this is an album from 2010, uh, and I got it after seeing the band on the night. So this is the second album featuring uh, formerly TV comedian Adrian Edmondson of uh, The Young Ones and Bottom fame. He's put together uh, this band that he's been running for, I don't know, maybe the last five, six years called The Bad Shepherds. Uh, now, this could be very easily seen as a vanity project for him, but when I went to see the Bad Shepherds back in April, April, I should say, at uh, the Caravan Club here in Melbourne, uh, I became convinced that music was an equal, if not greater, passion for Adrian, and he had the musical chops absolutely to pull it off. I think I might have had this discussion with you previously, Eric, when we've been talking mm-hmm. about the definition of punk, but I'll come back to that in a second. Um, for those unfamiliar with the project, The Bad Shepherds, which also features uh, Troy Donerkey of uh, Nightwish fame. So, uh, VK and the uh, off chance that you're listening to this, pay attention. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, this band had been around, I think, yeah, since 2008. Uh, they play songs basically from the first wave of punk, utilizing traditional folk instruments uh, as distinct from playing them in a folk style. It's still sounds very punk in attitude and very punk in energy it's not like listening to traditional english folk music you're not listening to steel i span here um this is it's still punk 
when people expect these songs to be played with loud guitars and drums, he just subverts their expectations. And, you know, that really is a very punk thing in itself. Uh, none of the songs sound mannered or polite. They have the spirit, I think, of that the original authors intended. Um, and although I think it's probably more evident in a live context than it does on the CD. So the CD that, um, I mean, there are about three CDs, and I've heard them all now, but the one that I bought on the night is the one I'll talk about, which is called By Hook or By Crook from 2010. Um, and as I said before, I know the novelty tag could be all too easy to apply here, but I've been playing By Hook or By Crook now for months, and it still makes me deliriously happy. The band, in a live context, always... They played these songs as if they'd made them really their own. And we're talking about songs like Anarchy in the UK, uh, Once in a Lifetime, Ace of Spades, Sounds of the Suburbs, Making Plans for Nigel, uh, which, you know, most of these songs are like the soundtrack to my teenage years. And there are a shitload of others. The, the live setup, I saw them, they had uh, Adrian himself on uh, a double-neck mandolin, which I thought was, you know, very Jimmy Page. Uh <laughs> Troy Donaghy on uh, lutes and guitars and Ualian pipes and the difference I'm, I'm sure you know, a lot of people out there know but I didn't at the time so the different the bagpipes you blow into Ualian pipes you just sort of sit and play on your lap but it sounds to me uh, very similar uh, plus there was a guy I think it was Terl Bryant that's the name that came up on the um, uh, Wikipedia page I didn't quite catch a name on the night but I'm presuming it's him uh, Tell Bryant on percussion who unfortunately is not on any of the CDs till now so he must have been like a fairly recent addition but uh, to my mind uh, his um, addition of percussion really only enhanced uh, the sound of, of the group uh, for me the highlights on this album uh, Anarchy in the UK which takes on a really new type of menace less of the overt oral assault but you get this mm -hmm. nervous waiting for something bad to happen type of energy here and it, it has a very middle eastern flavor uh and just that's how he opened up the show that's how he opens up the album and i i just found like once i bought the cd i was playing that like about half a dozen times before <laughs> i went on to the next track it's absolutely wonderful uh the other highlights uh, making plans for nigel uh, which for me works even better than the XTC version, and I love the XTC version. Uh, as you really get the, there's more of a feeling in the lyric. You you get this, you get the story better, of you know these overprotective parents, and it's really more evident in uh, Adrian's delivery and you know, this instrumentation than it is in the XTC original. And once again, XTC fans don't bang on me for it because I love XTC and I love their version but this just is absolutely something special and the third and final song I want to sort of mention uh, out of an album of, that's all great is um, uh, a song by the specials uh, I think actually Adrian Edmondson made the joke on the night he said are there any fans here of uh, the, the special song called uh, Ghost Town and a whole lot of people put up their hands and said, yeah, yeah, he said, right, we're going to do the B-side <laughs> it was this it was this Friday night Saturday morning uh, which I, I looked up on YouTube afterwards, and I, I love their version, you know, very sort of uh, that late 70s British scar feel, uh, but uh, what they did here um, was just absolutely sensational, and what I, I guess what I've already gone and mentioned here is this level of instrumentation, or at least the arrangement that Adrian and the Bad Shepherds have brought out um, really enhances the lyric all the more, and there's uh, a great line in there um, I wish, oh, hang on, I'm not going to quite get this right. I wish I was, 
um, uh, oh, I can't quite remember, but something, he, he says, I wish I didn't have um, uh, piss on my shoes, and I wish I was somewhere else rather than having piss on my shoes, and you really <laughs> sort of got the the feeling of this guy, he's spent working, his hard working week, and then he goes out Friday night and has a wonderful time with all his mates, it's like, you know, Friday on my mind for... Um, uh, for, for Britain in the late 70s but it sort of has a very melancholy feel and um, uh, yeah look it just really those songs are, are, are absolute highlights on this album but it's all great so uh, if you can find it I think probably you can get it from his website uh, I picked it up at the gig it's called By Hook or By Crook uh, originally recorded in 2010 and I think there's at least another two um, albums out there by the Bad Shepherds so if they're in your town go see them so my question was something like this is always, um, you mentioned you went and you looked up the original of the special song. Yep. Have, uh, have any of the, the songs on the album or any of the other stuff you you heard sent you looking for um, any of the other bands that you didn't know? Obviously, you're going to know The Pistols and The Clash, mm. but uh, I'm looking at the track listing for some of, the, some of these uh, albums he has, and I'm seeing things like... Uh, like teenage kicks or yep. <laughs> you know, Gary Gilmore's eyes. I mean, these these are a little, maybe a little more obscure. No more heroes. Well, actually, uh, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned teenage kicks. I mean, look, that was a song that I'd heard before, but it became mm-hmm. an absolute favourite for me this year after having watched the uh, film Good Vibrations, which um, uh, Hank and I discussed on yeah. the uh, See Here podcast in the middle of the year. And I bought the soundtrack uh, for uh, Good Vibrations, and that was just you know like a it was an epiphany for me, which which I think was you know a nice comparison because it was an epiphany for uh, the main character in the film. You know, he'd been listening to classic rock and he was a DJ, and mm-hmm. then he goes and sees sees um, uh, sees uh, the, the undertones and and another band. This is a great line. If you haven't seen the film, and I've got to mention it here, um, there's this other band that's playing on the same bill as the undertones. Which um, he goes over to the undertones. He says, "And we are going to make a record." And um, this other band, um, who he doesn't like so much, say, hey, but us, you're going to help us? Oh, that's right. He says, um, we are going to make a record. And they say, you're pissed. He says, maybe, but we are still going to make a record. And this other band says, what about us? You're going to record us? And he says, I'm not that pissed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was, um, you know. So, well, so but yes, yeah, sorry, answering your question. I, I, did look up, I did look up a couple of others, and I still mm-hmm. haven't looked up everything. Uh, but... Um, you know, look what he's gone and done here. It's it's almost a little bit scary to go back and thinking, oh, am I not going to enjoy this quite as much? But I know there's still stuff I want to look up, and there's some stuff I had looked up, but uh, particularly that special song intrigued me because um, his version was just so beautiful, which is not something that I would have said. I like the specials version, but the um, the Bad Shepherds version is really really beautiful. I um <clears throat> I just recently listened to a, another podcast, uh, not a rival, a completely different genre. You'll be happy to know. We have we have no rivals. Um, no, un- unparalleled. Um, <laughs> and it, it, Ed Edmondson was on, and amongst uh, one of the things that he was talking about was uh, every year him and his friends meet up uh, in Oxford Street in London, and they get ridiculously drunk at lunchtime because they've all got to be home by you know sort of seven o'clock at night. Otherwise, their wives kill them. Um, <laughs> and they get they get together and they go down Oxford Street and they buy something just utterly ridiculous, and he he bought a pink banjo this year. Oh wow! Um, and since then he's actually been asked to play a part in a film 
uh, which we'll be filming next year, involving him playing said pink banjo. So uh, you maybe look forward to some some Ed Edmondson on the big screen. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to the next Bad Shepherds tour of Australia where he brings this pink banjo. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been looking at some of the uh, the, the track listings and from from the albums and stuff, and I'm, I'm certainly going to go and check those out. I mean, you've spoken spoken before about them, so mm-hmm. very strong recommendation. Indeed. All right, um, Jeff, your uh, your next selection. Well, it's almost as if this the ordering of this has been planned. Um, we started with talking about punk music and country punk and Ed Edinson doing punk covers and right. I'd like to mo- I'd like to move on to uh, an album this year which was released by a band which I really love and have done since the 80s when I first heard them a band called the men they couldn't hang ah oh, nice yes yes and uh, they released uh, I don't know which not how many albums it's been now but their most recent one came out this year it's called the defiant um, <clears throat> the Defiant being a pirate ship in this case. Um, and it's another collection of their uh, <clears throat> rousing, angry, you know, roots, rebel, rave folk music, um, bordering on the punk end of things. Uh, certainly their, their earlier stuff, they were closely associated with The Clash and The Pogues and, you know, those bands back in London in the day. Mm-hmm. They were uh, big, uh, they were hugely supported by John Peel. Um, you know, way back in the 80s, and actually finished number three on his festive 50 one year, wow. which, uh, you know, beaten into third place only by, I think it was the Cocktail Twins and the Smiths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were in some so fairly reasonable reasonable company there. That was for their uh, their first ever single, which was, um, oh, it's gone completely out of my head now, the name, um, Eric Bogle song, the, uh, the anti-war song. And the you man know, played Waltzing Matilda. No, the other one. Oh. Green Fields of France, No Man's Land. Okay. Uh, uh, fields of Flanders, uh, is that? Uh, anyway, the green, go on. Green, yeah, 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 everyone will know it when they hear it. Um, so this uh, this this album was their thirty odd anniversary year, and it was completely funded uh, on pledges by the uh, the help of their fans. Um, <clears throat> they spent a whole lot of time, you know, fundraising and putting out little bits of videos and little snippets and snatches of, of recordings to people who pledged. And then, you know, we were all thinking, well, I was certainly thinking, well, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll be okay, it'll be decent, it'll be done on a shoestring, blah, blah, blah. But really, it's it's an absolute belter of an album. Um, the opening track's called Raising Hell, and it's got one of those kind of sea shanty gang choruses that you know you just won't get out of your head um after the first couple of times you've heard it um you know if you've never listened to the men they couldn't hang before i would strongly recommend this album and uh, i think you'll be a convert even by the uh, you know the end of end of the first couple of tracks i've certainly not listened to as much as i would have liked but i have heard like a few tunes and i know that uh, my beloved weddings parties anything were huge <laughs> fans of the men they couldn't hang and i'm sure that they covered a couple of their songs in in their live sets yeah and definitely vice versa i know uh, phil swale odgers who's the the one of the lead singers of the men um mm-hmm. big weddings parties everything uh friend uh friend and uh, supporter mm-hmm. uh friends with mick mick thomas yes yes um so yes yeah, uh for me, though, I've seen this this band live, oh, God knows how many times. Um, but they're one, they're one of those they're one of those bands that you th- you see them live and you think, well, that was an absolute riot. It'll never work, <laughs> you know, on, on CD. Yep. But it's actually it's actually better when it's paired back and you can hear the hear the lyrics. Mm. Um, they 
they they use the, you know they're much more than just the let's have a piss up with folk instruments. Um, they're they use um, sort of historical uh, references a lot of the time, um, like the you know the Iron Masters in Wales and you know uh, press ganging in the Navy and that kind of thing, but draw parallels with current issues. Have you um, have you ever listened to the Decemberists? How do, do they compare to them? If you've heard them, I've never listened to them. But uh, if you're if you're suggesting that they, they may be similar, I might give them a yeah, well, give them a, thematically, a try. Thematically, yeah, maybe a little bit. So um, yeah, be interested to know your thoughts about them. No, definitely no, I mean, give them a go. So so, what was the name of this album again, Jeff? The Defiant. The Defiant. Okay. Uh, by the men they couldn't hang. I think that's probably one of the greatest band names ever. But. Uh, <laughs> They've, they've, they've been very unlucky with, uh, they've never ever had the sort of mainstream success that, you know, a, an awful lot of critics and people think that they, they should have done. They've been, they've been very unlucky. They, they released um, what was going to be their big single that was going to, you know, poise to take the charts by storm called Rosettes, um, which was, which came out the day of uh, the Hillsborough disaster. Mm. And it was about, it was about football hooliganism. Oh dear. So it got immediately got squashed by uh, you know all the all the radio stations and the TV and stuff so that, that you know that, that sort of general bad luck has happened all the way through but uh, no they're a, they're a re- really interesting band they've got a lot to say about current affairs and you know say it with a sense of humor as well as from the heart and the musicianship of um, Paul Simmons who plays things like you know the mandolin the bazooki uh, balalaika you know, basically anything with strings on, you can knock a tune out of it. Nice. Um, so yeah, would uh, really like if uh, you know, like that sort of folky, punky sort of space. Uh, go check out the men. I will go check that album out for sure. It sounds right up my alley. Okay, Eric. Alrighty, so uh, we're going to move on now to the, uh, and I'm just going to group these together. The two, I'm calling them reissues, even though one of them is a issue of an album that was recorded but never came out. And uh, so the older albums. The first one is called Thrilling Women, The Lost Air Pirate Sessions, 1977 to 1980 by Jeffrey Morgan and Dean Motter. Now, I know about this because uh, one of the songs was featured on that uh, Ralph compilation that I covered on the uh, compilation series, uh, Songs to Get, or was it Driving at 3 a.m.? Right, yep, yep, yep. This was a very... um, power poppy kind of electronic late 70s into 1980 uh it's almost a kind of steampunk kind of a thing and i really like this a lot and i played it a lot enjoyed it it just um i think one of the things that i wanted to challenge the whole love that album crew to this year is you now it feels like and i love it but we're doing a lot of singer songwriter stuff and a lot of punks gone country can we seriously try to get a little more rock and a little more uh, power pop going in this next year just um, to, to kind of mix it up I can, almost, kind of the I can almost assure you it's going to happen <laughs> okay that's the gauntlet I wanted to throw down and I think this record is uh, if you're fans of of uh, you know power pop and you know that kind of thing it's definitely worth checking out you, um, I don't know that they ever printed it in a physical format or pressed it i guess you would say but it you can get the digital downloads from cd baby or amazon or wherever and it's just a fantastic album and the other one it's called on tar beach and the band's called the deadbeats and they were a kind of semi-forgotten uk punk band from the 80s 
the, er, the late 70s, early 80s, and they kind of petered out by the, the middle of the decade. And this is their classic album, and they're doing the kind of the same thing that Social Distortion did, mixing punk with 50s uh, rock, 50s rockabilly, you know, that kind of a flavor. And they have this great female singer that's... She doesn't sound like Wanda Jackson, but she has that same kind of... Um, what do you want? Gravitas, that same kind of presence. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that was that was one that I, I dug quite a bit. So, excellent. All right, um, does it come to me now? Okay. Um, all right. So you mentioned a little bit of a little bit of punk. No, not punk. You mentioned a little bit of um, power pop, a little bit of rock. Well, I'm going to give it to you. So earlier on this year, I found myself wanting to search out an album from um, a band that. I think you were familiar with, Derek, uh, called The Flaming mm-hmm. Sideburns. Um, yep. Now, the main CD shop that I go to here in Melbourne couldn't help me out, but uh, one of the fellows who works there, uh, hello Pat if you're listening, referred me to another shop in town called Off The Hip. Now, I've mentioned them once or twice on the program before. I had no idea that this shop existed, although it's been around in Melbourne for 10 years, but it's certainly very hidden away. Uh, the fellow who runs it is a guy called Mick. Uh, and I'll actually be mentioning him a little bit later on in so far as music creation goes. But for the moment, uh, uh, this guy Mick, he uh, runs the shop and he has a passion for garage and power pop and basically anything it seems with a crunchy guitar and a melodic hook. I mm-hmm. fell in love with his shop. He also has his own uh, CD label called Off The Hip and I think in the last few years he's made like about 150 or more CD releases. I walked into the shop and bought a few things off him and um you know we just got generally to speaking and i told him i had this podcast so he said oh here take a couple of cds on the house just see what you think of them and you know if you want to talk about them on your show you can and all right well here you go so one of the cds that he gave me um is on my list of best albums for the year i made i made a mention of it uh, I showed a film clip of it on the Facebook page. The name of the band, and actually they played Melbourne this weekend but couldn't go. Uh, the name of the band is called Loose Pills. They're uh, from Sydney. Uh, uh, this is their debut album. Uh, it's called RX, which um, I can't remember exactly what it says, but in the, in the telecommunications or electronic sense, it would mean receive, but this is in the pharmaceutical sense because they are called <coughs> Loose Pills. And um, Treatment treatment up oh, i forgot i'm speaking to dr smith thank you very much um so the album was released this year but the band is something of a super group featuring members of bands like the eastern dark which um funnily enough selling ice to the eskimos uh eric you put me onto uh, mm-hmm. uh the new christs the lemon heads and a band that I really did dig called Pyramidiacs, which I'd heard of a few years ago, featuring an all-round incredible musician called Michael Carpenter, who's um, like he's in about 100 power pop bands in Australia, and he has a bunch of albums in his own name. Um, so anyway, uh, he's not on this album, but there are, as I said, members from uh, his one of his bands, Pyramidiacs. Uh, so this album started out like a solo effort for its lead singer, a guy called Ryan Elmsmore, uh, who, who's, uh, my son Max said that his voice reminded him a little bit of Doug Figer uh, of The Knack and a suggestion I could see in hindsight, not going in, but yeah, I could sort of see that. And anyway, so there was going to be his like his solo album, but you know, eventually as you know, he sort of got to you know, 
hanging around with these guys more. It became a real band. Um, the band actually doesn't like the term power pop, believing it implies bands who sound twee. I disagree with that, but they like the term heavy pop, so I'm going to go along with that. Regardless of semantics, they are a band with crunchy guitar riffs and strong melodic hooks, uh, and how can you not love that? Uh, their uh, heroes, if you look in any of the interviews online, are the replacements. So there you go, there's a focal point. You love the replacements, you can do a lot worse and search out loose pills. I also tended to sort of see similarities with uh, UMI. Um, Matthew Sweet's girlfriend sort of came to mind on some of the songs. Um, there are moments where they sound like uh, another band that I'm going to discuss a little bit later on, uh, but we'll come to that shortly. I think Eric can sort of take a very strong guess through uh, correspondences that we've had. Um, there's also on a couple of songs, there's something a bit of a Rolling Stones swagger from the early 70s about them. Uh, for me, the highlight of uh, the album, and once again, a lot of great songs, but um, this is... Uh, not just a great song, but even for an amateurish-looking film clip, it's a record lover's dream. The song is called Get Drunk, Play Records. Uh, if you <laughs> haven't seen this film clip, look them up. Loose Pills, Get Drunk, Play Records. It's just two people drinking champagne, dancing around the room, going through the lead singer's record collection. It's, it's something of a... A, a show-off film club. I mean, the film club looks like nothing, but it's just going through his record collection and you're just drooling, thinking, I want that, I want that. So, yeah, an absolutely awesome album. Um, and, yeah, once again, if you like The Replacements, you like Paul Westerberg in his rockier moments, you like You Am I, uh, and some of that Stones and Faces swagger, you won't go wrong with this uh, with this album. And um, if you're if you live in Melbourne, and you go down to Off the Hip, which is just off Flinders Lane over Queen Street, I think. Um, then you can pick up a copy of the album from Mick and just say that Off... Um, oh, love that album sent you. And he'll say, who? But, um, but just say, yeah, Morris, that, uh, that guy who does a podcast, he'll say, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll charge you twice as much. No, he won't. No, he won't. <laughs> anyway, no... Um, Wonderful, wonderful shop and uh, really, really great album. So I, I, have, I, have, I have a question for you. Go for it. So you're saying that there's been a record shop in your city mm. for years and years and years that you've never been into. Ten years. And you discovered it this year. Okay. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but being the kind of record music book movie freak that I am, mm. anytime I go to any, any city or whatever, I find as many... Uh, use bookstores or record stores as possible to check out. So, uh, you know, I, I know that it's a large metropolitan area, but are there other shops now that you know of? Or it's, are, are, it's interesting are, that you look. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I, I think uh, I recently got hold of this like fold-out poster, which now that you know vinyls become trendy and hip mm -hmm. again, uh, uh, they've kind of uh, listed by regions of melbourne here are all the record shops here are all the cd shops uh, mm -hmm. around around town and um in thanks to that in the last uh, couple of months i've driven out to the northern side of town with max and have gone and discovered a couple of these places that i didn't know had existed we ah. look i mean i know that given that uh, you know what we were speaking about before i think off air about uh, the ubiquitousness of iTunes and people wanting to download yeah. stuff. 
but there is, at least in Melbourne, still, uh, I don't know, healthy, I don't know if healthy is the word, but you'll still have a fair amount of choice. If you want to get the physical medium, um, you still have plenty of places to go. It's not quite like what it was, obviously, when I was growing up or even in my, you know, uh, early 20s or 30s days, but um, you're not short of places to go. And look, this place, uh, I mean, I went and saw, you know, I spoke to Mick in, in, uh, the, in the shop and mm-hmm. said to him, look, I feel embarrassed that I didn't know about this place that existed. And he said, look, don't feel bad. We are fairly hidden away. It's in an alleyway. And, you know, he, he says, that, yeah, there's a lot of people that didn't know that uh, he existed, but I guess it's, it's it's a word of mouth sort of place. And yeah. you know, thanks to Pat telling me that it existed, I you know headed straight on out, and now here I am spreading the word. So if you live in Melbourne, go to this place. I, I it's um, oh, I can't remember the name of the laneway, but it's off Flinders Lane, just over Queen Street. And if you uh, live interstate and are making a trip to Melbourne, you're a music fan, then please go search it out. Look, hit me up on Facebook or by email. And I'll look up the details and I'll send you down there because it's just, if you like garage uh, rock and power pop, this place is, is just, it's a wet dream. It's fantastic. I love it. And no, I'm not getting any kickback. Um, I, it, was, it was nice for Mick to uh, give me that uh, Loose Pills CD. But um, no, I've made a fair few purchases from him and I'm just yeah, I, I, I'm promoting this because... I love the music that he has there, and if you're a power pop and garage pop fan, then this is a place where you can get all this in, in, in the one shop. So there you go. Um, I've done my good service deed for the day. All right. Uh, so we're on to um, uh, Jeff, your next choice. Yeah, thanks, Morris, for that uh, advert for your brother's record store. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, um, to, I'll uh, completely change tack now. Um, I would like to talk about the fairly recently released latest recording from Jackson Brown, mm-hmm. uh, Standing in the Breach. Uh, first first album since 2008, I think, uh, Time the Conqueror. I can't remember if it was 2008 or 2009. Um, not memorable in Jackson's... Uh, illustrious history that one for me anyway but this one's different this one is is great um i remember i spoke to you a while ago about it and i, I was a bit kind of nonplussed and i, I went back and I, yep, yep. I went back and actually listened to it properly with, with both ears and it's it's fantastic there's one clunker on there but it's fantastic the, the 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 whole album um you know jackson brown's always had this sort of one side is he is the sort of sensitive singer songwriter type and the other side is this committed political activist and I think that's where for me some of his albums go wrong because they they don't get that balance quite right um you know it's a kind of an uncomfortable juxtaposition if I can use such a horrible word um but this one this one he does it really well because he he kind of mixes harking back to his past um but he also uh manages to be very very current as well and the harking back to his past is an interesting one he, he records for the first time ever a song called the birds of st mark's uh, which he started writing back in 1967 or 68 he's played it live in various different guises um but it never been never been recorded um and it's quite interesting hearing him sing that now with a, a new recording which sounds like kind of sounds like the birds actually um 
Um, it's 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 about looking at love and loss from a very young man's point of view. You know, knowing that that Jackson is is like all of us, not really all that young a man anymore. <laughs> um, he's obviously older than us, but probably not older than you, Morris. Um, Hang on, wait, what? And that he's got some of the, uh, you know, some of his, but that sits alongside some of his idealistic songs. Um, there's a great song, great sort of idealistic song on there called "You Know the Night." Um, it's sort of, it's it's about wanting and it's about being aware of wanting, and but it's actually based on a whole bunch of uh, material that Jackson Brown got from Woody Guthrie's journal. Oh wow. Um, and it's it's done you know really very very cleverly and there's some really fantastic sort of echoey vocals on the on the uh, and background vocals on the on the on towards the end of the the song and um, yeah again the, the some of the the political activism stuff is is available uh, available of course it's available it's <laughs> <laughs> it exists on the album there as well um, there's there's one song. Um, uh, the the song breach obviously it's 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 optimistic but it's talking about you know trying to be true and trying to be true to yourself but taking a stand and be but being sort of flexible and adaptable and you know trying to trying to deliver deliver your message and deliver you sing with your voice in 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 the current sort of consumer throwaway society mm. Um, which I think is a, an interesting, an interesting thing, given that some of the some of the issues that we were talking about, you know, previously about it can even be re- applied to the the rise of trendy vinyl, yes. um, which you know, as you've said, is probably a podcast by itself at another date. <laughs> um, It'll happen. Yeah, and you know, in this this album again, there's there's flashes in there of Pete Seeger, um, the activism side, um, but Jackson also does the. He does the sort of the, 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 the lover inside bit much, much better than Pete Seeger ever did. Um, from from me. I mean Pete Seeger was, was all about activism and did that really well with some wonderful songs. But uh, you know, Jackson can talk about uh, you know the uh, the costs and, and lessons in love um, alongside name checking Citizens United in the Gulf Oil spill. You know, it's uh, for me, this album—he's—he's he's finally managed to really, really do this, and and really deliver a, a fantastic uh, piece of work. Um, so, so, just to interject, there, I, I think when we met up for coffee about two, three weeks ago, was it this album or was it the previous album that you said? It was this you one. Had, okay, because you—you you were mentioning that you had some problems with some of the songs lyrically. Um, and so, what's what's changed? I, I actually went back and, and listened listened to it in a bit more a bit more attentively, mm-hmm. um, and, and picked out some. I mean, Jackson for me has always been one of the best songwriters in the Americana genre that I love so much, and he's on he's on absolute top form in a lot of these these numbers here and. Hitting back to his past and lining it up, I don't know if he did it intentionally or if it just happened. Um, I mean, he even sort of evokes invokes the ghost of um, "Take It Easy," which not everyone knows he actually co-wrote, but he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does a sort of—he's got this sort of train train kind of song called "Leaving Winslow." Um, you know, obviously being one of the settings in "Take It Easy," and but you know, he just—he just get—he just gets the lyrics. He's, he, it's not forced, I think is what I'm trying to say. It sounded a bit forced on Time the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. But this one, I think it's Jackson Brown's decided that 
you know, maybe things have changed in his life and he doesn't have to deliver records when he needs to deliver records or something. Right. It sounds like one that he's thought, I've just got some stuff to say, and you know what? I'm going to say it. And if mm. it takes months and months and months to come out, then too bad. You know, it's a really, 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 really great album, and, you know, it could be a, a, you know, a really good way in for, for people who are not so uh, interested in Jackson's back catalogue because, you know, there's a lot of, lot of great stuff there. Okay, Jeff. I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. Your first two records had these amazing, like, great, colorful, vibrant covers on them, and, and this record has a cover that's really kind of muted and, and uh, you know, maybe there's three colors involved in it. I'm talking about the actual album art. Yeah, the actual album art. I think it's from from memory. It looks like a, it's a bomb site or that's some yeah, yeah, but, burnt, burnt but out building or something. The, the other two are so colorful and so. <laughs> Anyway. Okay. Uh, your next pick then, Eric? Okay. So, getting into the new albums for 2014, there's a band called Just The Men and their album Tomorrow's Hits. Uh, which, Dave, Davey Mack's a big fan of this one. Yeah, it, it's just a great straight-ahead rock record. It's not heavy metal. It's not punk. It's not it's not even really that alternative, but it's... It's got a little bit of that kind of 70s uh, swagger and jangle and boogie-woogie in it, but um, it's just just a great, solid rock record that um, it's not, like I said, it's not pushing any boundaries or anything. It's just, I, I played it a lot early in the year, and I, I really enjoyed it. And then, I know I, I kind of checked out some of their other stuff that didn't really grab me, and uh, this is the one I just kept coming back to. So, so where, where are they from? They're from Brooklyn, and I guess okay. they're they're noted as having been a punk band, but this this really sounds like I said more like straight ahead rock and roll, with that that kind of seventies, a little bit of that seventies swagger, but definitely not not a retro album. Okay, so the yeah, I, it's is worth there a checking out. Can look it up on YouTube. Um, just pick any of them. I mean, there's a the the bunch of the the songs from the album are on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So just any of them, I would just uh, put it on, put it on and let it play and see if it grabs you or not. Okay. All right. Um, okay. My next pick. This was an album um, that came out this year, and it was a lovely, unexpected surprise because until it came out, I didn't even know that there was anything uh, on the way. Um, and it's uh, the album by Jeff and Spencer Tweedy, who've gone by the moniker of. Uh, originally, um, originality uh, plus Tweety, um, and uh, it's uh, the name of the album is called Suki Ray. If you saw the Wilco documentary, I am trying to break your heart. You may remember there's a moment where a very cute Spencer, as I think a three-year-old or a four-year-old, is having a conversation with his dad about his admiration for one of his father's songs uh, that he can't recall the title for it, but he tries to hit the beat on his legs and the song eventually turns out that it's heavy metal drummer from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and it's appropriate and sort of a prophetic choice as Spencer gravitated towards the drum kit as he grew older. So this is far from the first family project to appear out in the world and uh, and actually just incidentally there's um, the new Thompson family album featuring Richard and um, Linda and sons and daughters and even grandchildren and son-in-laws but that's another story anyway (laughs) excuse me but um, once again the fact that I bought this 
without any awareness that this project was taking place really made it interesting. The main question I had was, would it have merit? But, you know, if it had Jeff Tweedy's name on it, I was prepared to give it that chance. And when you put CD1, track one in, um, the song is called Please Don't Let Me Be So Misunderstood. And it has this uh, sort of compressed production sound about it and uh, time signature changes and a bit of that sort of indie feel. You get the feeling that maybe we're in for something experimental, you know, Circa, Wilco's Ghost is Born or Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Um, And just as a side thing, Spencer's drumming is something I really look forward to seeing develop. I think he's been inspired by uh, Wilco Mark II drummer Glenn Koch uh, in his experimental approach. He's uh, definitely not out there to provide mere backup to his dad. He almost wants to take front and center stage on some of these songs. But anyway, truth is that this collection is maybe in similar in approach to um, uh, lots of Wilco albums, both in its style and diversity. You have the fun pop of a song called Low Key, which I've got to say has got a cracker of a film clip. Look it up, Low Key. And it's got uh, a beautiful waltz ballad called Wait for Love. Uh, and there's uh, another song I really die, uh, deep called Nobody Dies Anymore. And it has this sort of layback feel that wouldn't be out of place on uh, the Wilco album being there. Um, uh, what else? A song called Diamond Light, which is uh, very Spencer-driven. Uh, some really full steam ahead drumming there. And I know that um, a lot of people have issues with double albums and saying that, yeah, there's some great songs and there's often a lot of filler. And, and to be truthful about this, there's a few songs on here that are filler, but the good songs on this really buy a lot of goodwill. For even even the ordinary songs are still well worth a listen. Uh, and probably, uh, if I'm going to compare this to any individual Wilco album, I'd say it was The Whole Love, which at the time I was saying when that came out was an album which was a good summary of everything Wilco had done before. It had country, it had the experimental stuff, it had full straight ahead 70s style rock. Um, And and this really is sort of like a hodgepodge of styles. There are a a couple of backup singers on a couple of other tracks and I think one other musician who appears on maybe about half a dozen tracks. But by and large, this is just uh, father and son. And... um, They've done a really, really good job. Look up that film clip for Low Key, and there's a couple of full concert performances that are out there on YouTube, and uh, they might have even appeared on, um, uh, I can't remember, Morning Becomes Eclectic for KCRW. But yeah, there's, a, there's an episode of uh, Sound Opinions podcast that they're on as well. Right, I haven't got to that one yet, but I was aware. I'm going um, uh, to try and download that one in the next week or two to uh, give that a listen. So, um, yeah, now that's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a long-time Wilco fan, uh, and actually uh, Wilco have just gone and released a, a best of and a four CD um, rarities uh, compilation box set. I don't know about uh, in America, but over here it was actually surprisingly sold very, very cheaply. Beautiful book, hmm. and, um, and the CDs have been put together very thoughtfully, so... Uh, if you're a Wilco completist, you could do worse than uh, search that out. But uh, if you're only going to get one thing, I really, really recommend uh, the album Suki Ray uh, by um, Tweety. So there you go. All right. Um, Jeff, your next one. Uh, next one from me will disappoint Eric as well. It's got a, an even, uh, even more what do you, what do you mean as well? dull, dull cover. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, I'd like to talk about John Hyatt's uh, 2014 release, um, Terms of My Surrender. Uh, it's uh, it's another it's another one of these ones that that delivers what you think you're going to get from from uh, an artist. However, John Hyatt this time seems to have gone much more sort of bluesy, um, kind of organic sort of sounding. Still has the the rough vocal that we all you know. The, I've been drinking burning whiskey for months. Uh, you know, vocal sound that we we all know and love. And but this one, you know, I don't think he's been in better form for quite a while. Um, He's I've been on tour sort of almost constantly for the last last four years. Um, so you know the the band uh, called the Combo are uh, you know pretty tight these days. Um, he's it's a collection of songs. You know again about the looking into the human condition um, and some you know but some fairly pared back instrumentation. Um, if, I'm trying to. Th- what's the the best best way into this now? Um, yeah, he gets in. He, he does his usual um, looking at domesticity um, mm. and you know all the all the highs and lows there. But you know how generally it's it's a pretty good thing. That, that's a that's a common theme with him across a lot of his albums, isn't it? I think it is since he uh, since he got sober. Um, right. And I uh, got a got a wife that actually sort of uh, he's managed to keep. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. It does does make life a whole lot easier. I can attest to that. Um, there's 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 a lot of uh, there's a lot of bluesy sounds. There's a lot of country sounds in there again, as you would you know you would expect from me. Um, there's even Morris. You'll you'll like. There's there's one in there which to me sounds a bit like slow jazz. Oh, oh. Um, and which I know you're not a fan of. I'm not a fan of jazz at all. Slow, fast, improvised or otherwise. Um, but it's it, it does it does a bit it does get a bit whimsical in there. And I, I just want I don't don't normally point out lines, but he does have the line in there. My heart is so heavy, like a stack of Bibles. I don't know why, but it just it it just said, yep, yeah, I, I kind of know what you're getting there. Um, the sounds, imagery, it's it's the blues. Um, Sort of harks back to same old man, the record that he made back again in I think 2008. Yep, yep. Um, he can get otherworldly, almost meditative in one of his songs, um, "Face of God." Um, there's a dirty, dirty sort of swamp life guitar riffs in there as well, um, called "Nothing, Nothing I Love." The song on there. So, going back to you know, ever since about bring the family kind of time. Um, he just he, he he's happy talking about this really well worn bruised skin that he lives in, but you know hell, it's home and I love it. Mm. <laughs> he, he made uh, look, he made that very evident. I think he came out uh, was it four or five years ago, played at the National Theatre, and I I rushed to see that because I missed the, uh, the still famous shows that he did with Robert Cray here. I think in the early nineties about the time of. Um, Oh, uh, stolen moments. I think mm-hmm. um, he came out for for that, and I, I continuously regret I wasn't at that show. But this second time around, he came out, and it was just him and a guitar. And I, th- I thought to myself, well, oh, and a piano. Uh, but I thought you don't need a band. You know, you're so you're so percussive, and you, you have this really full sound. But yeah, a lot of what you're talking there about the domesticity and uh, finding some peace in his life. Um, was you know fully evident in the between song banter as well as the songs itself. Yeah, it's kind of um, 
I guess as artists mature and things that they're singing about obviously change, um, there's a few a few artists have, have gotten into that kind of... They're no longer autobiographical, a lot of their stuff. They sing about characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that, that mean, that, that make, can use them to make points or, or deliver observations rather than singing about specific things that have happened to them. Um, yeah, so I think Hyatt definitely, definitely does that. And <clears throat> I've, I've noticed, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it in another, another edition sometime about how there's a number of artists that I really like who, whose music has fundamentally changed, not always for the better when they've sobered up. Um, and obviously, it's a it's a major life change. But uh, John Hyatt seems to have managed to find something else to talk about, you know, without losing any of the the skill and the observation and the the ability to to draw out, you know, observations on life. Mm, nice. Uh, just, yeah. Well, just like just like your other big hero, Steve L. Uh, similar to Steve L. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now you saw the two of them when you were. In the states a couple of years ago, didn't you? Yeah, they 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 played on a double bill, and we saw them in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose everybody's got to go to have a reason to go to Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, John and Steve in, in the one night was was mine. They played in a an old uh, an old style theater, you know, a small town theater, maybe two thousand seater. Nice. Um, <clears throat> Steve, uh, John High opened up. Uh, with a combo, and Steve played with the the Dukes and Duchesses, or one of one of the one of the incarnations of them. And then they came out and they did a couple of couple of numbers together. And and you could see that Steve, for some reason, was exceedingly angry with John Hyatt because uh, he kept screwing up his words. <laughs> <laughs> there was definite friction there, and of course, you know, Hyatt just said ho 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 and kind of laughed about it. But you know, it was it was a really really great show. Really enjoyed it. Right. All right, Eric, your next choice. Okay, so um, full disclosure, this band is actually, I'm friends with them. Uh, they're a band called Stupidity, and their album this year was called 4, F-O-R-E. They're just a straight-ahead garage rock band from Stockholm, Sweden. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been on Little Steven's Underground Garage, and he's been a big supporter. They've been on his show Lilyhammer. Uh, they're, they've been around for uh, quite a while and, and playing in different bands and um, yeah just great straight straight ahead punk rock rock and roll uh, check out their song called let me make sure I get the title right it's called On Fire it's it's, it's a great just you know um, just energetic uh, you know screaming at the world kind of a song now I, uh, I did not get to see them play this year they did st- Last was it in October? I guess they were, they were in town and they couldn't get a gig. You know, this town has become so lame. So we went out for dinner on Saturday night, and then we had coffee on Sunday before they left to go to Cleveland. And uh, the great people, just fun to hang out with. Um, you know, they're they've got kids and wives, and you know they have jobs. So you know, this isn't something that they do constantly. But great band, great people. You know, just once again, a great straight ahead rock and roll record. And I think more than anything this year, that's that's what I was uh, responding to is people just making, uh, you know, solid music without trying to get too, you know, too deep in any kind of genre trapping. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, everyone knows I'm a fan of the punk rock and the, the country rock and, you know, horror punk and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, this year, just having something that, um, that was just no frills, you know, no posing, nothing, just energy was, was really what I was responding to. So, so the name of the album was Four and the name of the band was? Stupidity. Stupidity. Okay. Yep. And, okay. uh, yeah, it's, it's a great record. You know, it'll just put it in your put it in your uh, CD player or whatever and let it rip. You know, it's one of those those great, you know, 10 songs, 32 minutes, and you're done. Yeah. So is this available, <laughs> like, from their website or something? Or? Uh, well, the, the, the actual disc has been released. So, I mean, I, I've got... I've got that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, like, if, if yeah. I wanted to go order it, would I get it from their website or something like that? Oh, you can go off their website. I'm sure that... Um, I haven't looked at Amazon... Um, you know Australia or anything, but it should be out there. Like I said, they're they're uh, they're connected with Little Stevens Underground Garage, and my understanding is that's getting getting uh, you know those bands are getting distributed all over the place. So okay, all right, um, all right. My next uh, album I'm going to discuss, and I'll probably end up sort of like discussing two albums here, but the main one. Uh, this is the 2014 album by the Black Sorrows. In their album Certified Blue. Now, until Michael Persh went and sent me his list for the previous episode of Love That Album, um, with uh, where we got correspondence to send in uh, albums that they dug this year, I'd forgotten about this album, which is a shame. I'd heard it like in the beginning of the year, fell in love with it, listened to it for a few months, and then went on to listen to other things. But this was an album that absolutely had to make its way into uh, my favourites of the year now for those of you outside of australia uh, joe camilleri here is something of a national treasure uh, he has a long musical history uh, with a, a multitude of bands but the two that he's most famous for and most synonymous with were jojo zep and the falcons and i can actually reveal here that they along with cold chisel were the first um, live show that i ever went to see back in i think 1980 at a, I think it was an under-18s uh, show here at Festival Hall in Melbourne. Uh, so, yeah, JoJo's at the Falcons uh, and the Black Sorrows. And just as a, another sidetrack, JoJo's at the Falcons there. Uh, the album that I guess really broke them uh, in Australia was um, Screaming Targets, and that has just had a re-release, uh, courtesy um, of uh, a fellow called David Lang, who's made some absolutely superb compilations this year. Uh, I was hoping to have him on the show in January to talk about these compilations. Uh, that might be pushed back till February, but we'll see. Um, anyway, that's I, I digress there. So anyway, this Black Sorrows album is called Certified Blue. Uh, so um, uh, what else? I, I, sorry, I was going to tell you a little bit more about Jojo Zepp uh, or Joe Camilleri. Uh, uh, the the uh, Jojo Zepp and the Falcons, they started out as a sort of a tough R&B band. Uh, and probably most famous earlier on for their cover of uh, Joe Ligon's song, The Honey Dripper. And then they sort of evolved into a bit of a cross-hybrid of that sound with uh, reggae and uh, and pub rock. Uh, and th- they got really big through uh, that aforementioned album, Screaming Targets. Anyway, post Jojo Zapp and the Falcons, Camilleri put together this uh, band of Black Sorrows, which also started out as something completely different to what it became. Uh, they started out purely as a Zydeco band and put out a, two or three really good albums in that genre. But um, 
then they found success with a stylistic change to, I guess, more of the Americana and folk rock sound uh, with the addition of um, uh, Vicar and Linda Bull, uh, the Bull sisters, on harmony vocals and also occasional lead vocals. Uh, the huge popularity of the Black Sorrows in, you know, in their heyday is long gone, but um, they've still been making some really interesting albums over the year. Uh, over the years and this I hadn't sort of actually listened to something that they'd made maybe in like about I don't know seven or eight years but this one uh, Certified Blue um, was getting a little bit of press and I thought alright let's go see what this is all about and they did an in-store performance here in uh, one of the CD stores here in Melbourne and I, I was thinking right I have to buy this so um, Joe Camilleri as well like he's gone and uh, put together his own record label so he doesn't have to be completely dependent on CD sales, which, you know, as I said, are not necessarily what they were in the heyday of the late 70s and the 80s. Uh, but he's put together this uh, excellent uh, label called Head Records, which um, has some rock, but is also uh, something of a jazz label. I know that you'll be uh, frequenting their product. Uh, Jeff? Oh, yeah. Uh, now, um, this album, Certified Blue, it's, I guess, something of a history of rock and roll if you will it's got um you know, just really great songwriting and, and performance craftsmanship but he's got you know rockabilly workouts uh there's a, a song or oh, the actual title song certified blue is very much a solomon burke influenced ballad uh there's a song called wake me up in paradise that sort of reminds me a bit of burt Bacharach writing for dion warwick and i actually mean that is a good thing um, there's a song called Save Me, which is a bit of a hoedown. There's some gospel and a song called Dear Lord. And uh, anyone who knows uh, anything in this country about Joe Camilleri knows that he's a Van Morrison tragic. Uh, and so the last song on the album called Gates of Hell has a, a, a mid-70s sort of Van Morrison type feel. Uh, so I guess the music is, so in its original sort of way, it's a bit of an Americana or rock and roll jukebox. Uh, a, a real tribute and a love letter to uh, popular music as an art form so um, if yeah basically if you uh, if you've been a fan of Joe Camilleri in the past and you've not heard from him or you've not listened to him in a while get this album it's really terrific and if you live overseas outside of Australia you've not heard of Joe Camilleri before you could really do a lot worse than um, uh, go search this album out but uh, as well, I urge you to go search out some Jojo Zepp and the Falcons. Uh, there's, there's a really good compilation out there. Or if you just want to go get this reissued album, uh, uh, Screaming Targets, it comes not just with the original album, but it, it comes with a bonus CD of live things and B-sides. And I know some of those things can be a bit of a hodgepodge, but I can tell you every song is an absolute cracker. It's really, really worth having. Uh, so, um, yeah, Joe Camilleri, either in uh, Screaming Targets, Jojo Zep form, or his new album, Certified Blue with the Black Sorrows. So, um, there you go. That's my uh, choice on the, for this position. Which So, how many have we gone through? I think about four each. So, Jeff, mm -hmm. your, um, your fifth <coughs> choice. My fifth choice. Um, I worked to Eric about the the cover art on this one. Don't <laughs> don't look at it. Don't look at it for too long, otherwise you'll get a headache. <laughs> Um, uh, can I can I guess? Go. Is it, is it Tom Petty? It is indeed hypnotic eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the cover does seem to have some sort of strange three D wiggly lines of green and red. Oh, it's horrible actually. Um, 
Well, this one, uh, this one does exactly what it says on the tin. It's uh, it's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Heartfelt, Heartland, Rock. Yeah, what you know, what what more can you say about a Tom Petty album? Um, it's a Tom Petty album made by Tom Petty, and it sounds like Tom Petty. Um, I mean, which no, is look, good I, because I'd like your opinion because I, mean, I know that the previous album that he'd put out, I can't remember the name of it, but it was more of a straight-ahead sort of blues album. And, Mojo. Sorry, what was it called again? Mojo. Right. Yes. Yes, that was it. Yep. And whilst I've you know, no problems, I'm a you know, I'm a big blues fan, and yet I sort of want that. I don't know. You call it the Heartland sound of Tom Petty, and like you know those early albums with the Heartbreakers and. Uh, full Moon Fever and, and you know, Wildflowers and uh, that sort of stuff. That's really great songwriting craftsmanship. And, you know, I've sort of only heard, like, you know, I've heard a little bit of this new album. And songwriting-wise, to me, it just... I, I sort of thought it was maybe a little bit by the numbers, but maybe I need to go back and give it a, a, another listen. So how does it... Are you, how does it stand... Where does it stand, like, in the Tom Petty canon for uh, for you? Um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of it's not. I would say it's not his his greatest, um, but it it it's up there. It's in the conversation. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, it. When I when I first listened to it, I thought, yeah, yeah, Tom Petty by numbers. There we go. We'll not be listening to that one again. But then <laughs> I I, uh, I picked it up again. I thought, you know, Tom Petty's a great artist. <laughs> I, I really love a lot of his work. I think he probably deserves more of a listen than that. Um, <clears throat> so I, I had a bit more of a listen, and it's 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 Tom Petty doing a Tom Petty album, but he still manages to stay to stay current. Um, there's still enough of the sort of the brashness in there. Um, yeah. He still sounds relevant. Um, I mean, he's not going to get on the radio unless you count satellite radio, I guess. Yep. You know, that's, um, but he's not traded away uh, for for to, to become a nostalgia act. You right. Know, there's there's a, there's still a lot of his old influences in there. Some of the you know the jangly birds sound again is 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 back on a couple of songs. Um, Red River. A song that does that. There's a sort of Latin sounding jazz inflected bits. Um, a song called Sins of My Youth. Um, Full Grown Boy, which is uh, gives Ben Montench the chance to, to really strut his stuff. Um, you know, see, even down to the bits like that where, you know, each heartbreaker gets a chance to uh, to excel and show that they are extraordinarily good, good musicians. Right. Well, um, yeah, Mike Campbell, I think, is a hugely. Um, underrated guitarist. I love him. I think he's a fantastic player. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. He gets as much of uh, his due that he's deserved. Yeah, um, there's one. There's one. One song on there. Uh, Fault lines. Um, it's a. It's, it, there's an. El, there's a. There's a Ray Charles sound under there somewhere. Um, okay. He's got uh, Scott Thurston guesting on there on, on harmonica, um, but you know there's lots of there's lots of the the typical Tom Petty forms and melodies and rhythms and you know embellished around by the the skills of the musicians, um, and, you know and, and some of Tom Petty's you know uh, yeah heartfelt heartland rock. It's uh, it's really worth a listen and it's. Uh, it was one of those albums that I got to the stage, similar stage with Steve Earle a few albums ago, where I thought, you know, I'll listen to one more, and if you know if I'm no longer convinced, then you know you and I might part company. Right. Um, 
and that's where I was with his last one, and this was the this was the one more. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll eagerly await his next one now. Nice, nice. Okay, well, this, well, that, I'll, I'll go back to it. Yeah, that that, that was a record that uh, I listened to once and just have not had a chance to listen to again. But I, I'm I'm wanting to check it out, and it sounds like this is maybe the second record on your list that you didn't connect with the, the first listen or the second listen, and then later on, kind of kind of went back and picked up on it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It just um, to me, it sounded like uh, you know, if you if you if you stick on a, a an album by an artist that you really love from many 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 years ago, and you you just think, yeah, yeah, I'll just play that in the background. That's what it sounded like at first, which is. You know, why I, I described yeah. it as very much a Tom Petty album. Okay. All right. Eric. All right. So this is the, the third and final of my new albums for this year, and it is Lydia Lovelace's Somewhere Else. Now, have you, either of you guys heard her, her uh, music? I have nope. not. Okay. She's uh, some Bloodshot Records, so she's doing this this kind of alternative insurgent country mm-hmm. uh thing but there's some singer songwriter and she's got this amazing voice um yeah i just i really like her stuff i, I really really enjoy um her playfulness I, I mean she's actually got a song called from her previous album called steve earl where she uh she talks about steve earl keeps calling her <laughs> and she wants wants him to introduce her to his son uh and then you know she and this one she sings about chris isaacs and uh Berlin and some other stuff and it's just like a great straight ahead once again maybe the theme for me this year was just straight ahead music that wasn't that wasn't trying to be fitting into a little box of some kind and uh yeah a great record i like i like both of her records she's also got a couple of uh eps and, and singles out but she's got a great voice um highly recommended she did one of those npr tiny desk concerts are you familiar with those i am yes yes Okay, yeah, she did one, and for those who don't know, it's, it's basically just the stripped-down version of, of somebody's band uh, playing in the, like in the corner of the room at NPR, which is uh, here in America, our national public radio. And yeah, just great stuff, great voice. I look forward, she's probably in her early 20s, mid-20s, look forward to hearing more from her. And it, it was easily the, the record that I, uh, I found myself uh, thinking of when I sat down to uh, figure out what my favorite records of the year were. So Lydia Lovelace and the name of the album was? Uh, Somewhere Else. Somewhere Else. Yeah. Okay, right in it. Yeah, and, and Jeff, I think I think uh, you might like this record because of that that um, that mixture of uh, roots rock and Americana with with you know some classic kind of country um, strictures and, and vocal work and that kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting to me. I've made a made a note to check that one out. Thanks. No problem. And it's, it's definitely got more... You know, these aren't like the, the My Dog Got Hit by a Train song. These are... <laughs> which I like those kind of songs too, but it, it's, it's definitely a little more smart and a little more um, I don't know, a little deeper. A little deeper, I would say. Okay. All right. So my next album, uh, uh, based on uh, a whole bunch of Facebook comments uh, from earlier on in the year when this came out, uh, will come as no surprise. And I'm pretty sure that certainly on some groups, on uh, some of the people on Feed My Ears, it'll be in their favorites list. And I'm talking about uh, Beck's Morning Phase album. 
uh, and so much has been made of the fact that Morning Phase was a return to the style he used in Sea Change, and certainly does come a, cover similar territory musically. But of course, he's coming from two different perspectives. You know, Sea Change was his uh, catharsis after a relationship breakup. And it's almost a concept album in that regard. And I guess I'm doing fine is, you know, really a heartbreaking example of self-pity that actually makes me feel sorry for him. Morning Phase, on the other hand, sees him, he's, I believe he's now happily married. And the lyrics don't necessarily reflect, you know, happiness and great contentment with the world. But there's at least a spirit to try and make things right, which is absent from Sea Change. The opening tracks, Cycle slash Morning, have this glorious feeling about them. There's this uh, uh, very basic orchestral uh, arrangement for uh, Cycle, which is just 30 seconds. And I think it's arranged by Beck's father. Uh, and... It's, uh, it's just just glorious. You listen to it, and if you close your eyes, you picture that you're somewhere in the country, or at least you know, you're sitting in uh, in your or lying in your back uh, bedroom, and the sun's coming up, and you're looking over your yard, you're looking somewhere in the country, and it's just the sun's coming out, and you just sort of feel it's going to be a glorious day. And there's, uh, it's the sort of music that John, uh, this early thing, this cycle, this 30-second piece, it sounds like the sort of thing that John Bryan uh, composed for the uh, soundtrack of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It just has this awesome sense of beauty, like everything is fresh and new and starting again, which I think is the approach that Beck takes on uh, on this album. Uh, Morning, the, the first proper song, uh, like much of the album, is a song that it just sounds simple but works so well on the spaces that it creates. He's not trying to fill in every little space. He's letting the song breathe, and that's really what's true of a lot of the music on uh, the album. Uh, the music, uh, it, 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 it has a common feel throughout the album, but for me it never sounds samey, and he, he just has some great players on the album. Joey Ronka, who's a, like I think of a, something of a Beck regular, uh, pedal steel player Greg Lease, who's you know, just like a, a, a the pedal steel session player to the stars, and you know, I've heard him uh, like a fair bit play with Bill Frisell and heaps and heaps of other people. Uh, and um, uh, my hero from uh, the Jellyfish Camp, Jason Faulkner, plays on this album. We actually spoke a couple of episodes back that uh, Jellyfish go back and search that out, but Jason Faulkner is something of a hero to me, and um, you mentioned earlier on, Eric, about we need some power pop. Well, I think mm-hmm. we're going to do a Jason Faulkner album somewhere in uh, 2015. That's just waiting to happen. But uh, look, anyway, yeah, Beck's morning phase. I know there was a lot spoken about it in Feed My Ears, and uh, a lot of people really enjoyed this, um, this album, and yeah, certainly it's one that I've dug uh, as well, so yep, that's in my top albums of the year. Beck's morning phase, quite easily obtainable, I'm sure. All right, so that's uh, album number five for me. Jeff, you have a sixth for me. Number six, yep, I would like to talk something about the Gaslight Anthems uh, Get Hurt. Um, now, this one, uh, a great album for me this year, not because of the the content, but because of what I see as the the significance and where it might take the Gaslight Anthem. Um, the <clears throat> the content itself is uh, is kind of Gaslight Anthem uh, light. Uh, 
it's been they've, they've tried to to uh, come up with a different sound almost gone for messing around in genres um, and it's it's an interesting enough it's a good enough listen but it doesn't have the the sort of compelling sound that the gaslights had on their their, their first two or three albums um, and for me the interesting thing is it very much has the sounds of um, a very talented very insightful singer songwriter who's outgrown his mates um, you know I think uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens next for this this band that's just released what I would su- suggest is their you know very public identity crisis now I, I just put in something there now, as much as it was an album I disliked but I remember you making the same point I think when we were talking about the horrible crows and you were suggesting there that you were wondering where he was going to go with the gaslight anthem mm. going forward and you, you may i think made, <coughs> excuse me uh, um, a similar suggestion he might be a man who's outgrowing the the sound that uh, he's known for with the anthem so is this uh, more a step in the horrible crows direction or something different yet again Oh, it's something something different yet again. I mean, it's 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 full band, uh, big production, and and maybe for for me, if I'm being highly critical of it, overproduction. There's maybe a bit too much overdubbing, and especially overdubbing of background vocals. Um, it still makes for a good listen, but if you were to listen to the Gaslight Anthem's first album and this one, which you must remember is only their fifth, mm-hmm. um, you you. you Apart from Brian Fallon's voice, you wouldn't think you wouldn't get them as the same band. You know, very very different sound. Um, I think they're struggling to to know where to go next because their their fans love them for that sort of uh, you know all guns blazing uh, sort of punky heartland rock sound. Um, and I think Brian Fallon's songwriting's getting to a level of maturity now that that doesn't quite fit anymore. Um, and he's, you know, this this album sounds like. Let's see how, if we can dig around in, in what we've got in us creatively together to find a direction that we can go in without actually really committing to any particular direction. Um, I know the critics, the critics were very mixed about it. For me, um, can I just say that American Slang was my favorite album of 2010. <laughs> And I like their follow-up, Handwritten. This is one of those records, like the Tom Petty record, that I have yet to really sit down and listen to. And as much of a fan as I was of American Slang, it's a weird to me that this one just didn't call out for me to, to sit down and listen to it. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. That was the that was the <clears throat> that was what I got from it initially as well. I mean, I I, I got it. I looked forward to it. I got it. I listened to it, um, and I didn't listen to it again for some months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I put it on and started listening, I, I, I started trying to think, you know, what is what is Brian Fallon trying to say here? And I don't think Brian Fallon actually knows what he's trying to say musically. Um, okay. Which makes it actually quite an interesting collection of songs. You know, to hear a singer-songwriter sort of trying to struggle whether he feels loyalty to his mates and he's got to keep them on board. Um, but, I, you know, it, it, I think it's really interesting in the in the... You know the short history of the Gaslight Anthem to see where they're where they're going to go next, or you know whether the Gaslight Anthem uh, will still be the Gaslight Anthem, or whether there'll be Brian mm. Fallon on his own. Um, I mean, either way, I think uh, I think Brian Fallon will figure it out. 
Um, I mean, I've spoken before, certainly Morris doesn't like the Horrible Crows, but um, I've spoken before when we did that discussion um, that I, I do think he is he is a superb songwriter and he, he's too good to, to just fade away and disappear into you know repetition of the Gaslight Anthem sound for many, many more years. So uh be interesting. Okay, you might he might find though that there's that, um, and I, I'm loath to the, use the expression, but it might be uh, brand recognition because I, I know that you know we've had bands here who um, uh, you know people were going to flock to see the main band, but you know even if the main songwriter was going to head out uh, on his own and, and do his own thing under his own name he's not achieved the same sort of success and i mean the big one for me i think you know weddings parties anything not exactly that they were you know, a household name selling out stadium sort of thing but there was some level of recognition of uh, weddings parties anything across the board and it never seemed to me that mick thomas and his own band the sure thing really have got the same view and, and and i'm wondering if it was something to do with right we know yet you're the singer and songwriter of weddings parties anything and that's what we want that's where we want to see that name recognition so even if he goes and rotates other people into the gaslight anthem that he wants to play he i wonder if he uh, sort of keeps that brand's name recognition yeah i mean it's difficult difficult to know what he might do i mean he's he's still a pretty young guy you know he's got a lot, lot of career ahead of him yeah. um well, and there's, there's, there's always time to uh call it a day with the band and then reunite later on Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> That's a common career move, isn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. Sometimes it's a career move. Sometimes it's organic. Mm. You know, sometimes it's we did this thing when we were twenty, did something else when we were thirty. We come back in our forties and right. and have something else to say together now. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry, uh, didn't mean to derail you there. No, no, that's uh, 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 Jeff. You got anything more to say? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's a good way to sum up sum up my thoughts as well. Okay, Eric, do you have a, another album for us? I don't have another album, but I was just going to quickly go through some of the stuff that I, I have not had a chance to sit with for various reasons. Oh, so some of it, I honor, just, honorable mentions? No, I don't know if I call them honorable mentions because I, I don't really know what to make of these yet. Some of them just came out. Some of them I just got my hands on. Okay. So um, Bloodshot Records put out a compilation of... Uh, of artists covering some of the, the material from the back catalog called While No One Was Looking, 20 Years of Bloodshot Records. That's one that I'm uh, looking forward to getting my hands on a copy of. Also on Bloodshot Records was uh, Whitey Morgan and the 78's uh, live record, uh, Born, Raised, and Live from Flint. You know, they're uh, kind of a Waylon Jennings sounding uh, country rock act that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of country, uh, Kepi Gooley from the Groovy Ghoulies has put out an album called Kepi Goes Country that I have yet to get a copy of. Mm-hmm. And uh, more country, uh, the new Roseanne Cash record I just haven't had a chance to listen to yet, or the new Willie Nelson. Um, and then one I picked up today, I mean yesterday I guess I picked it up at the record store, is the new uh, World Inferno Friendship Society record, This Packed Funeral, that... They're a band I really like. They, they do kind of a punky cabaret, uh, you know, like Weimar Republic style. Um, now, that's two words they, I never thought of here in the same <laughs> expression, punky and cabaret. Yeah, there's, there's this whole like dark cabaret movement. And probably the best known band is the one that uh, Amanda Palmer was in, who 
What's his name? I, I'm uh, the Dresden Dolls. That's who they were. Oh yeah. Uh, they're pro- probably the best known, but there was this whole subculture of those kinds of bands. There's a band I like called Stiffs Inc. that was around in the '90s. That was that was mixing uh, punk and kind of cabaret and um, had this kind of steampunk thing going on. And World Friendships, excuse me, World Inferno Friendship Society. It falls directly in that that genre, and they're maybe the most. Uh, to me, the most accomplished band of, of the genre. Right. And uh, I guess this is about their fourth or fifth, maybe sixth album. So I, I, I've liked their previous previous records. Um, and then there's a there's a band called Lucero. I don't know if, if either of you guys are familiar with them. That They're kind of in that Gaslight Anthem, you know, Southern Rock, the, uh, uh, you know, Springsteen kind of a sound. Um, they had a live album out this year that I, I've listened to a little bit, but not enough to to really make a judgment one way or the other. So, okay, so those are kind of the the things that I still need to to get into and investigate more right. from this year. So, okay, um, all right, I'll um, talk. Uh, I'll try and make this quick. I've got look. I got um, a couple more selections. Um, I think I'll only talk about one of them because. Uh, the second one I've actually spoken about at length on a separate show. Uh, so I'll talk now uh, briefly about um, an album that uh, I got into maybe a couple of months ago, and it's a band that you are all too familiar with, uh, uh, Mr. Reanimator. And I'm talking about the Helicopters and their band Rock and Roll is Dead. Now, I'd heard the Helicopters a little bit on uh, Radio Triple R here years ago, and remember them touring Australia, but not really quite sure why I didn't follow up. Now, your review earlier on uh, in the year of Head Off, uh, plus the recommendation that you made of Imperial State Mm -hmm. Electric, made me rethink about getting up off my ass. But when I saw, there's another Facebook group that I'm a member of, where there was a uh, a guy who was, um, he had about a dozen or so, four CD sets going for 12 bucks each, of uh, four of their albums including this one it just became a bit of a no-brainer i had to get it uh so the rest of the albums in that um, in that group were super shitty to the max by the grace this of god uh, right yep uh, by the grace of god and high visibility uh, as well as rock and roll is dead now truth be known any of these albums could have made this list but i'm going for rock and roll is dead i think primarily because that was the one that you suggested to me should be the first one I should listen to out of this set. And I think you even said, uh, made a post yesterday saying that uh, you thought it was extremely underrated. Uh, yeah. Now, for those that came in late, apart from myself, uh, the Helicopters were a Swedish rock band around from the mid-90s to, I think, the, the mid-noughties, Eric? 2008, I believe, was their, was one of the final shows. Right. Okay, so... Um, You've made over the last couple of years some awesome Swedish rock recommendations to me, uh, and um, I, I got to confess, I nearly picked uh, the uh, album uh, uh, "Grow" by the Three Seasons that uh, Jeff at uh, Feed My Ears put me onto, but um, I thought, no, this is—I I love them both, but this one, probably for the same reasons that you've been citing some of your albums, Eric, because it's straightforward, straight ahead, no bullshit rock. And uh, the the Copters brand of um, rocking tunes and high energy and mm-hmm. heavy melodicism is really what drew me to them. And I know that for some reason, there's some level of maybe not hate, but 
um, dismissiveness, I think, of this album, at least, you know, according to a site like Pitchfork. Now, really, I normally have a live and let live uh, motto that I like to live my life by. But if there's anyone from Pitchfork who's listening, who wrote that article about Rock and Roll is Dead being a poor album, I just have to say, fuck you. Um, <laughs> really, I, I, I don't like those damn miserable self-proclaimed rulers of taste. Uh, this is an awesome rock and roll album, uh, and you know, I mean, you'd gone and made the point, Eric, that there is you know some Chuck Berry influenced stuff there. You know, the, the opening track before the fall is definitely their tribute to uh, yep. Sweet Little Sixteen to me. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Leave it alone sounds like uh, the Rolling Stones tumbling dice, and I'm in the band sounds like it could easily have uh, fit into uh, the Who's Quadrophenia, complete with Pete Townsend. Uh, fretboard slides and Keith Moon maniacal drumming but um, you know despite all of that it still sounds like especially you know I'm comparing it to the other Helicopters albums that I've heard it sounds like a Helicopters album uh, and you know and the title is is not so much trying to be ironic but more like their uh, their little joke you know you read the title Rock and Roll is Dead you put it in and they're saying nah only joking yeah um, I I just recommend this to uh, anyone who hasn't heard this particular Helicopters album, or if you've not gotten into the Helicopters until now, uh, search this one out as your first pick. The, the rest in this set are great, but this was just so much fun. I love this record. I really do. Cool. Um, so, um, and the only other album I'll quickly mention, I was going to like talk for a few minutes about it, but I'm not going to, is, um, that, but is in my list of favourites for the year is uh, Robert Ellis's The Lights from the Chemical Plant. We spoke about that a few episodes back, uh, myself and uh, Davey McLemore. So go back to uh, hear that episode if you want to uh, hear our thoughts about that album. But absolutely superb uh, country. And I think it's an album that you'd really dig, Jeff. Actually, I might have talk and talked with you about it, I think. Yes, you have. I've, I I do have the album. I do like it. And, of course, saw, saw Robert Ellis live at the uh, the festival in Williamstown. Oh, you, you went to it on the weekend. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, he was. Uh, he did an absolutely stunning cover version of Richard Thompson's uh, Vincent Black Lightning 1952. Uh, well, excuse me. I'm now going to slash my wrists. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not having seen um, Actually, I, I was speaking to um, uh, Davey Mack. And uh, he, he, you know, because um, Robert Ellis had played in his uh, the store that he works in, Cactus Music, in Houston, and I think he'd gone and passed some comment to him about uh, Richard Thompson, and, and you know, Robert Ellis said to him, "Oh, Richard Thompson is God," so you know, he's gone and endeared himself to me all the more. You know, if not just putting out one of the albums of the year was enough, but the fact that he's a Richard Thompson devotee, and I think I might have actually seen. Uh, a version of him doing uh, 1952 Vincent Black Lightning on uh, on YouTube. So, but um, yeah, go back to that episode and hear about all the other influences that he's obviously got, uh, and what a great album that is. Lights from the Chemical Plant. So, um, Jeff, do you have one more album you want to talk about in detail before we go to our honourable mentions? Uh, not in detail because it was covered quite extensively in a, a previous podcast all of its own. I was going to put on uh, the Springsteen High Hopes release from earlier this year. Indeed, indeed. So um, I find that interesting because I remember that you know out of the three of us, I liked that album the the best. And whilst you know you and John were not necessarily dismissive of it, but you sort of thought, well, it has a lot of weaknesses. It sounds like it doesn't sound like a cohesive album, and it wasn't. But to me, it still all worked. And I think. 
you two are less convinced, but you've, um, it's obviously still something that you really did enjoy. Oh yeah, definitely, very much, in, very much enjoy it, and uh, probably from just because it keeps the memories of having seen some of the shows uh, alive as well. And you know, any any record that uh, has a version of "Just Like Firewood" by the Saints on it can't be bad. No, no, not at all. No, and uh, uh, as I think I might have mentioned it at the time, uh, for mine. Uh, the version that he records here, or, or basically, I guess, a, a cover version of his own, The Ghost of Tom Joad. Uh, it, it, as much as I enjoyed the original, I think this one rips it to shreds. Um, Tom Morello, I, I, I went I went with you to see Springsteen last year, and I guess I was a little bit cynical thinking, oh, why the hell can't Miami Steve come here? He's a lousy actor anyway. What's he doing this? What's he doing this new TV show? He should be here. And then when I heard Tom Morello let rip on uh, that version of the ghost of Tom Joad I thought alright you can stay in this band he was just <laughs> incredible and he he really makes uh, that version it's it's fantastic and yeah you're right it's a great album yeah definitely alright so um, honourable mention gents um, anything else that you want to uh, make mention of uh, just you know one one or two sentences about or uh, I, uh, I think I'm, I'm good so okay. go ahead right. so, yeah. sorry Eric carry on no, 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 Jeff, Jeff your, your honourable mentions? Uh, well, just uh, one that I heard for the first time on, I think it was Thursday of this week, um, a band called Train. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Train. I certainly wasn't. Um, <clears throat> it was one of those moments where Spotify actually threw up something that I did like, uh, <laughs> rather than endless Katy Perry. You know, how, how you go from listening to Motorhead and it suggests Katy Perry, I don't know, but... Um, it, threw up, it threw up Train and I listened to that and I listened to a few more so um, any of their albums I guess would be a, an honourable mention for me for having heard the first time this year um, but I'll certainly throw out a mention to Bulletproof Picasso their uh, 2014 one which is a big big sort of departure for me because it is, it's got some very modern very very modern pop so- sounds on there mm-hmm. um, which is not something I normally go for if you know, you know, you know me yeah. Well, yes, I, I, I do know you. You're, you're very professional in your tastes, but you know, there you go. But so am I. But, you know, we're old men. You know, you're you're living in de- you're living in denial if you say anything else, Jeff. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, I'll go through my list, and I actually have quite a few honourable mentions here, but I won't talk much about any of them. Just mention them by name. Uh, the first one is you know a band that I probably should have cottoned on to years ago, but thanks to Eric, uh, I went out and bought a, uh, a few CDs I'm talking about the Bell Rays and their album Have a Little Faith absolutely adore that uh, a couple of albums now Chuck Jenkins who I spoke about on last year's Shooting the Shit and actually got to interview for uh, Love That Album uh, he's put out um, three albums this year one album is I guess the one proper inverted commas album with his band The Zhivagos called Too Much Water in the Boat uh, where it was basically all thematically uh, songs about water uh, and he put together a, a, a trio, just sort of like as a side project. You can only get this um, album from his uh, website uh, called um, his, this band called Chuck Jenkins and the Amateur Historians. And the name of the album is called The Past Is Never Where You Left It. Now, he's done something unusual because he released two CDs, which you could only buy at the gig or through mail order. And I think they're pretty much sold out. And now he's gone and released like a best of the two which I think you can probably get at Basement Discs. And I think he's playing, if you're in Melbourne, if, uh, well, actually, it'll be 
too late by the time I put this on air, but he'll have done like a basement discs in store. I think this coming Friday where he might be able to sell this best of the two albums. But anyway, Chuck Jenkins and the Amateur Historians. The past is never where you left it. Uh, okay, there's a compilation album by another power pop band. And this one is featuring uh, Mick, the, um, the guy who I mentioned who runs uh, off the hip, but his band called The Finkers. And I'd actually heard uh, a few of their tracks before in a really excellent power pop compilation called uh, The Long Weekend. No, not The Long Weekend, The Lost Weekend uh, from a few years ago at, on uh, Pop Boomerang Records. So uh, this basically collects everything that they've ever done onto two jam-packed CDs. Uh, the name of the uh, double CD is called Epilogue. The band is The Finkers, uh, a band which I only heard about through Feed My Ears. And we can't get it in this country. We can't order it, can't do anything. Uh, it's uh, a band called The Empty Hearts and their self-titled album. It's something of a supergroup fe- featuring, I've forgotten, is that Elliot, Elliot Eastman? Or is that from The Cars? Uh, and Clem Burke from Blondie. And uh, you were speaking before, about Eric, about uh, just stripped back pop and this yeah. is what it is. It's, this is... Um, all four members of this band are all like from you know big-name 80s bands and this could have easily just been self-indulgent, but it's just four guys with nothing to prove, just putting out really strong, melodically catchy uh, pop songs. So um, if you can get it, uh, get their album, The Empty Hearts. Um, uh, if you like Tame Impala, then a, a band which has been very prolific over the last two, three years is a group called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard out of Melbourne. They've just got a new album out called I'm... Uh, I'm Your Mind Fuzz. Oh, I'm In Your Mind Fuzz. I haven't heard that yet, so that's not the album I'm nominating. But uh, they did put out an album earlier on this year called Oddments. And actually, that sort of uh, came in a re-release package with their album from last year called Float Along and Fill Your Lungs. And if um, if you like Tame Impala, then you'll dig this sort of uh, modern psychedelia, a psychedelica, I should say. Uh, a guy called Glenn Cardia, who was around from the 70s, early... 70s, and he's um, a songwriter very much in the vein of Loudon Wainwright III, a really great folky sort of songwriter who can do serious stuff but writes with a lot of humour. He's not, uh, excuse me, he's not a comedian or a comic songwriter. He's just a very sharply, very funny, uh, very comically observant songwriter. Uh, and he put out an album called Old Haunts, which came out, I think late last year and it's sort of like a collection of songs that have been lying around in the attic this is not like a properly recorded album it's i guess the, the best thing to compare it to would be like the original bob dylan uh the bootleg series volumes one to three and you know for um for, for a guy who put out these two albums of songs that never made it to proper albums holy cow you know i you know if i were a songwriter uh, I'd, I'd kill to want to write songs half as good as these. So if you like Loud and Wainwright, uh, then you could do uh, you should do yourself a favour and search this album out by Glenn Cartier, Old Haunts. He, he's a, a Sydney guy. I don't think he ever comes to Melbourne, which is a shame. But um, maybe he's, maybe be worth a trip up to Sydney. Um, quickly, the new Pornographers album, Brill Bruises, more pop goodness. Uh, the aforementioned Three Seasons in their album, Grow. Um, Guy Clark, I only sort of like, listen, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I'm a latecomer to Guy Clark this year, but thanks to uh, Davey Mack, I finally caught on to him, and I, I got um, a reissue on Raven Records of uh, four of his uh, 
earlier albums, but funnily enough, the one that really touched me deeply was one that might have come out last year. I think it was called My Favourite Picture of You. That really, really touched me. Um, and um, uh, a various artists' uh, compilation called Country Funk. Um, I, I know there's been a volume two. I haven't caught onto that one yet, but um, this one really twiddled my dials. And I would have thought, you know, can country music be funky? But uh, these two albums show that quite evidently they can. So uh, I know that Will Smith is a big fan of this one. So um, if you haven't caught onto that one, do yourself the old proverbial favour. And I think that is pretty much it. So, wow, we've been talking quite a long time, but a lot of interesting yeah. conversation there. So, um, all right, uh, just uh, finish business. Uh, what can I say? It's um, This is the final episode of Love That Album for 2014. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed uh, continuing on the show this year. Had so many wonderful people on the program. Um, I cut back, as you know, down to... Uh, one show a month uh, for my take on it but I still wanted to have something out a little bit more often and that's where I made the offer to you Eric mm -hmm. to uh, fill that in and um, if I haven't told you enough I'm extremely grateful and you've made some really fantastic programs uh, well, this you. year in the compilation series and um, I hope that uh, you'll continue to do so into 2015 well I plan on it so fantastic um so what else can I say? Yeah, yeah just it's been a really great year for music, uh, a really great year for conversations. Uh, I'm basically going to be, um, I'm hoping to get a show out by late January 2015, but I'm going away for a little bit, so it may not be possible. The next Love That Album may not come out till uh, February, but um, it may come out late January. We'll see. We'll see. But um Anyway, this uh, between episode 69, which is all the correspondence takes on their albums of the year, and this album, uh, Love That Album episode, which is which will be about three hours long. I think that there's plenty enough to listen to, and uh, you might not want to hear us back till uh, February. So there you go. Uh, so as usual, if you want to um, write to me, you can do so via rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. If you have any ideas for albums you'd like to see covered on the show, you even want to come on the podcast and think you can talk for an hour and a half about a favorite album, then please write to me. I'd love to have new presenters. Always love having new people come on and have a different perspective. You want to join the Facebook group, then uh, just go to uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. Uh, and I think we've covered it all. That's it. So um, all I can say, Jeff, Eric, um, thank you so much for joining me and Eric getting up early and Jeff staying up late. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. And also, even though they're not on the, um, on, haven't been on this part of the conversation, another thank you to uh, Tim and to John for uh, the first half of the show and giving me their um, their favourite albums uh, first heard in 2014. Uh, and anyone out there who's listened to the program over the year, over the three years that we've been uh, doing this. God, has it been three years? Uh, well, three and a <laughs> half. Three and a half, actually. Because I, I think the first episode came out, it was in May of, uh, was it 2011? I think and it was like maybe about you know three or four months before I sort of dived into doing it properly. The second episode was, um, I think, you and I talking about meet the family and uh, we'll bring, and that uh, we'll bring the family I should say bring the gremlins yeah, bring can you the say gremlins. beat the family 
Sorry? No, I did not say beat the family. No, no, no. <laughs> this, this is a family show. Family-friendly show here, uh, Eric. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to do that in 2015, you know, the, the uh, re, redux version of uh, that album review. Um, but yeah, we've been doing this for a little while, and uh, this is episode 70, so... Gosh, I'd, I'd like to get to episode 100. Let's see if we can do that. Um, and, uh, but anyway, no, really, thank you, gentlemen. Um, for Not thank just you. for this show, but for your ongoing support of the show for having been a part of it and 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 uh, your, your facebook posts and and uh, advice on albums to listen to and uh, it's just been wonderful really really wonderful and i'm looking forward to uh, keeping the good ship love that album uh, going on for some time to come our pleasure Morris. all right gents um and listeners out there just be nice to each other watch some great films listen to some great music Hopefully, the recommendations that we've made will uh, provide, <coughs> excuse me, will provide some fodder for you over the uh, coming weeks and months. And um, cheers. And uh, don't forget to uh, listen to the podcasts in our circle. You know what they are. But support anyone who does a podcast. And if you want to come up with a podcast that we should be aware of and should be listening to, then do it. I'm always wanting to listen to new stuff. So uh, until 2015, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy Festivus for the rest of us, or uh, whatever other celebration you do. And uh, we'll speak to you in 2015. Cheers.